Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. This is Love What I Love, a podcast where we beg our partner to love something we do, whether it be a movie, TV show, or anything in between. I'm Masha. And I'm Andy. And this week, we're talking about polls. Polls is a 2003 adventure dramedy based on the novel of the same name. Teenager Stanley Yelnats IV is wrongfully convicted of a crime, presumably because of his family curse, and he's sent to a detention camp called Camp Greenlake, where teens dig holes to build character. This story jumps between past and present to reveal intertwined tales revolving around Camp Greenlake and the true reason they're digging holes. Holes has an awesome combo of well-known and up-and-coming stars in their lineup. It's starring Shia LaBeouf... Is it Shia LaBeouf or Shia LaBeouf? I'm pretty sure it's LaBeouf. I think we just say LaBeouf because we're stupid. Oh. <laughs> okay. Because we call Buffy LaBeouf. That's true. Sorry, Shia. Shia. Shia, Shia LaBeouf. Oh, I gotta say LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf. Uh, Sigourney Weaver. Don Voigt. <laughs> John Voigt. John Voigt. Oh, whoops. That's a typo. <laughs> oh, Don Voigt. <laughs> John Voigt, Patricia Arquette, Dulé Hill, Cleo Thomas, Henry Winkler, Eartha Kitt, Tim Blake Nelson, even Rick Fox is in this movie. That's a lot. That's a lot. This movie was directed by Andrew Davis, known for action thrillers like Code of Silence, Under Siege, and The Fugitive. Oh, snap. I didn't know that's who that was. I know all those movies, but I never knew that guy's name. Ah. So when I saw it written, I didn't realize. Oh, the snap. Fugitive is great. I'm so glad this is being recorded, because this is probably the one and only time you'll admit to not recognizing a name. Whoa, I'll admit it when I don't recognize it. <laughs> it's just that I usually recognize it. I just assume you know <laughs> <think> everything. <laughs> <laughs> you made it sound like I lie when I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry, my bad. I just mean like you usually know everything um but that's pretty cool you know those movies oh, of course ah nice you never seen the fugitive is that denzel no it's uh harrison ford and tommy lee jones oh you ever see it's parodied all the time when uh the guy's getting chased through a storm drain and then he's 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 on the edge of it and up below him is like a waterfall to like a steep rocky hill and the cops and dogs are chasing him it's been parodied like a thousand times oh snap maybe uh, it doesn't ring a bell harrison right ford now. goes i didn't kill my wife that i've heard oh, okay all right. Well, that was that guy. Oh, doesn't John Mulaney do that um, in a bit? Yeah. Uh, all right. So there's actually, there's two John Mulaney bits. There's <laughs> one where he does say, I didn't kill my wife, but I don't know if it's a reference to that movie. Okay. But there's another one where he talks about the movie extensively, and it's hilarious. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> That's probably he, he, what he I'm He tells thinking. a story that takes place like in a ballroom where they filmed that movie, and he keeps getting he keeps like sidelining the joke to tell you the plot of the movie, and it's <laughs> hilarious. I didn't kill my wife! I don't care. This movie was co-produced by Disney with a two million, uh, two million, with a twenty million dollar budget. Ooh. It was. It ended up making seventy one point four mil, and during its opening weekend, placed number two behind Anger Management's second week. Ah, look at that. That's huge. It's kind of crazy, also, to think like what movies came out at the same time. As time goes on, I. I tend to not remember, so yeah, it's yeah. kind of funny, like, oh, that it really puts you in the time of it. <laughs> I can totally remember what movies came out, but it's crazy to find out what was number one, mm. because take Adam Sandler out of it, I don't think there's any comedy star now whose movie would be number one at the box office if it came out. Hmm. Like, 
you know what I mean? Or like it's just because like we we're so used to like giant blockbusters now, where like the number one movies are always either Marvel, Star Wars, or or like if if like Christopher Nolan or something drops. I see. But like anger, like you know, like that's a pretty middle level Adam Sandler comedy. It's mm-hmm. not that good. It's not that bad. Now repeat after me. Goose from a goose blah blah. Like I can't see. I don't even know who like who's an Adam Sandler of our time, like, making I, I feel like movies. a Kevin Hart. Like, how did those, like, Kevin Hart, Dwayne Johnson movies do? I guess Jumanji opened up. Yeah. But that was kind of like, yeah, all right, I might know what I'm talking about. But that's a little <laughs> bit more, like, adventure, too. Like, it's not, like, a straight... It's still, like, a big blockbuster. I'm curious how, like, the ride-alongs did. Mm. Like, that would prove me wrong. If those movies were number one, which I'm not going to look up right now because I don't feel like it. Right. Uh, <laughs> that would prove me wrong. But I don't know. It's just crazy to think that... Uh, Especially, yeah, you know what I mean? I see what you're saying. It's more like, like you said, big budget, big blockbuster, like a plot that has a lot of like special effects or yeah. like is kind of out of this world, whereas anger management was more set in reality in real life. Or just like it's just small. It's just like a comedy movie about... Right. Like, I know we didn't get to see King of Staten Island get released in theaters, but like, I don't think it would have been number one. I think mm-hmm. it would have done well, but it would have like Harley Quinn... Birds of Prey would have been number one. You know what I right. mean? Like, or something of the, along those lines. Yeah. So I find that interesting. Side note, we love that movie. Which one? Staten Island. Oh, I was like, I didn't see Harley Quinn. <laughs> 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 oh, yeah, no. Yeah, uh, Modern Love What I Love, go go rent King of Staten Island. It's worth 20 bucks for oh, sure. Oh, totally. Um, cool. So that's a little bit about Holes, but before we get into it, because I did a lot of research on this, as Andy knows, because yeah. I took a long time. Uh, <laughs> we were supposed to record yesterday. <laughs> okay, listen, they don't have to know that. Um, Andy, I want to know your thoughts and experience with the movie Holes. All right, movie Holes. So actually, similar to last week with Spirited Away, this isn't the first time I've seen this movie. But it is funny because it came out the same year as well. Mm. But I have only seen it once. And when it came out, so I would I was about 13. So my experience with Holes was I never read the book, but being the age that I am, it was huge for kids when it came out. Like, I remember in, like, fifth grade, like, we would do, like, these little book reports. Like, bring your favorite book to school. And, like, three to four kids all brought Holes. Mm. And, like, boys and girls, too. It was, like, right before Harry Potter dropped and took over all kids reading like all kids just now like that but like holes was, was pretty damn big yeah um a lot of people liked it and i just i never read it because i just i don't know i wasn't reading i was reading goosebumps and shit back then. <laughs> like you know i wasn't i wasn't a big novel reader i was more like uh-huh and even those i collected them because i liked the cover i wasn't <laughs> i didn't start reading stuff until like my like teen years that's hilarious yeah actually no it wasn't until seventh grade when outsiders that was like the first book where i was like holy shit i want to read books mm-hmm. so anyway yeah so holes came out it was a huge thing but i never read it I didn't even know what it was about like i literally just knew the cover where it was a bunch of holes in like one person's head like it could have been about gopher people as far as i was concerned like i don't know <laughs> i didn't know what holes was yeah um and then when the movie came out i just remember being fully aware of it because i did enjoy watching some even stevens growing up so i was already into shia labeouf mm-hmm. he was pretty hilarious on that show so this is like his first movie so i just remember it being like a big deal like him transitioning from tv to movies yeah absolutely i'm actually even surprised that you know of even stevens because i know you were a nick kid oh yeah i was i was nick over disney channel every day but even stevens was like the one that like permeated over somehow because <laughs> i never had it but i had some friends who had the channel so we'd be at their house like you know watching it yeah at like 10 11 years old so yeah movie came out i did not see it I know I've repeated this also on this podcast a thousand times, but 
at the age of 13, I was actively always trying to put kitty stuff behind me because I thought that's what you were supposed to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I just thought it was uncool to like stuff for kids and Disney and all that. So gotta just, be cool, man. Yeah. So like, I even remember like, I didn't, I wouldn't have liked anything Harry Potter except my sixth grade class took us on a field trip to see the first movie mm. for English class. Like, you know, and then like, I like saw then and I was like, all right, this is actually pretty cool. (laughs) So, so and I was eleven then too, so I was definitely still. I wasn't in the quite like teenage douchebag years. Same age as uh as Harry. That was another thing that was fun about watching those movies. Uh, It's not what we're talking about here, but sorry, I got to grow up with them. (laughs) So similar to that, I guess I I guess I was in eighth grade, so it was the year after this movie came out, and I remember I don't know the backstory of this, but like one of the teachers in my school got approved to do like a cinema class. Which was pretty normal in my high school, but for middle school, like it was like it was very very weird. Cinema and society. Wow, I just remembered what it was called. <laughs> and uh, me being like a burgeoning movie f- fan, I was like, oh, I gotta take that as my like elective or whatever. So we watched it in that class. Uh-huh. Um, and in retrospect, that class was terrible. I think it was an excuse for that teacher to just rent the new releases from that year because we almost almost everything we watched was from the year two thousand three. Oh, it wasn't curated. Yeah, to yeah. Be an like, actual... like I didn't think about this at the time. Like, because the teacher like was a good job of selling it to us eighth graders. That like, like these were great films. We have to check it out. But I think he was just catching up on movies he missed. Because like, we watched The Hulk. We watched The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Like, she, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is bad. Like, I have never even heard of that. Oh movie. man, it's a Sean Connery. It's uh, I don't even want to get into it. <laughs> Um, <laughs> it's just not good. Um, and then I remember at the end of the last movie we watched was Dumb and Dumber, which obviously wasn't a 2003 movie, but like clearly the teacher was just like, ah, I need a break. I want to put on some movies. You know, I haven't gotten a chance to see this Hulk movie yet. Like, what were we doing watching the Hulk in a cinema and society <laughs> class? Uh-huh. <laughs> it was made, it was directed by Angley, who was a fucking master, but still, it's not that good. So that was the only reason I even why I would have just skipped it completely because I was like it's Disney it's for kids I'm I'm over it right and then I just I remember like liking it a lot like I remember just being surprised at the subject matter of it all mm-hmm. um you know like even though it is a kids movie like they really don't shy away from a lot of like hard to deal with topics um everything from murder to racism to like you know just basically like indentured servitude and like turning a prison population into slavery like you know like like all these things were in this movie and you know and me being trying to be as edgy as i could at 13 watching shit like you know like american history x and all that like stuff that i thought was cool like i just remember being like whoa this is actually like pretty badass you know like (laughs) like i can't believe it yeah and you know and then even though when i listened to it this time the the lyrics of the rap song are so bland and not that good but you don't have to pay that close attention yeah to but at the time like bop, the, the beat and the hook is so yeah. uh uh so catchy that i just remember being like oh well this is cool look they're rapping i like rap you yeah. know like so it totally like won me over like yeah. i was just like oh this is really cool and then i don't know i just never watched it again don't really know why i just not because I was like, ah, oh, the movie was stupid. I just kind of put it away. I always had a fond memory of it. And then, yeah, when you told me you loved it, I knew one day we would be watching it again. Mm-hmm. Little did I know we'd be doing a podcast about it. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, I'm so glad we have a podcast. So I have an, like a reason to, you know, because I'm terrible. Andy knows this. I'm terrible about sitting about and watching a movie. But I will binge a sh- whole sh- show season in one day. Like, yeah, it, it's just weird thing. Not only that, you'll also go on YouTube and just watch like eight different scenes from a movie like all in like a, in in the wrong order but, you know like you know. 
I have favorite parts. Oh, that's so funny. But that is so interesting that you, you know, I feel like every kid either read this book in school or watched the movie in school. Like it was just, and even in my research too, Yeah. I found so many like kids like sharing notes about this movie to this day online <laughs> and, you know, having comparisons between what happened in the book versus the movie. It's just so funny to still see that conversation yeah. happening today. I even came across Spark Notes, which I completely forgot existed as a site yeah the spark notes and cliff notes too those are like the two i'm like guys why i I was actually disappointed in the people who are using spark notes because it's such a good book and movie that i'm like just just read it i know it's and it's like i'm sure i didn't haven't read the book but i can't imagine it's that hard to digest like it's written for young adults and kids absolutely did you have that experience like when you were in your English classes when you were younger, did you always like watch the movie of whatever you read afterwards? We always did. Oh, always? We didn't always do it. Yeah, like but- even if it was like made for TV, like we did like the Glass Menagerie. Oh. We watched like the uh, what the fuck's his name? Wow, Malkovich, John Malkovich um. version of that. Yeah, whether it was like Shakespeare or whatever it was, like we always watched the movie. But we but Holes was never like in our curriculum, so uh. we, we never like read the book. Uh, but I just found that it. But it's like the perfect book for kids to. Easy to read and like fun and blah blah blah, but then like there's some there's some deeper stuff you could dive into as a teacher, and then from what I've heard, like I've heard the book is incredibly faithful. Uh, movie is incredibly faithful to the book. So a reason why that is is because the writer of the book, Lewis Sacker, uh-huh. I hope I'm saying his name right, wrote the screenplay. So I think that is really why the movie does such a great job of staying true and adapting the book because he's he was involved with it every step of the way that's awesome and an interesting fact i was going to say this later but i guess i might might as well say it now richard kelly was actually tapped originally to write the screenplay for holes Mm -hmm. he wrote donnie darko oh which i i know you're not a huge fan of yeah i can respect that movie like it's it's definitely got some wild shit in there and i I get why a lot of people like it it's a little too heady for me Mm -hmm. so i'm not it just seems a little like film school student e where it's like a lot of like crazy ideas about death and (laughs) right and there's a lot to be liked about it like i i don't fault anyone for loving it but uh yeah i'm not i'm not the biggest fan not a huge the biggest fan but Um, i respect it yeah so when he wrote the original screenplay it was like a post-apocalyptic adaptation of holes and it was like much darker and he changed the characters up he removed you know one aspect of the story with sam and Catherine, and he just made it so dark that the studio was like all right this isn't a family friendly yeah. movie was it was it already like co a disney project at that point because i feel like you got some balls to be Doing that to a Disney movie. I couldn't tell in my research like what the timeline was. But I mean, the studio must have known about the book holes and been like, all right, this isn't what we're trying to do here. Um, so you know, they kind of just like pushed him to the side and then I think it was the director, Andrew, uh, who reached out with his production team to Lewis and were like, You we know you haven't written a screenplay before, but we're willing to work together to bring this awesome book to life. A lot of the people who were involved in this movie, their kids love the book. Mm -hmm. So I think that was another reason why they wanted to kind of serve their kids in a way and make this bring this book to life for them. Uh, Which is I mean, nobody said that directly, but that was just a vibe that I got in like watching all of the behind the scenes stuff, which is pretty cool. And from my experience, whenever I research adaptations 
they're usually so different because books are usually really long. Mm. And for film, like, especially if you're doing it for kids, you got to speed them up a little bit. But from all accounts, this book doesn't seem that long. So it's like, I don't see why you couldn't do what they did. You right. know what I mean? It's not, it's the go back to Harry Potter. It's not the fifth, fourth Harry Potter book where all <laughs> of a sudden it goes from 500 pages to 1100 pages. Right. And you have to figure out how to make that a two hour movie. You know, like you're not having that problem. So just, just go for it. Yeah. And I, I just, I love the collaboration that happened in what I read. And, you know, even though Lewis was kind of like worried to write a screenplay and it was much different from him for from writing a book because, you know, writing a book is, it's just you, whereas he had to really collaborate with everyone involved in this experience. Mm-hmm. But again, everyone working together and creating something nice. Oh! friendship all right right. um before you go down your your list of notes though we have to go into your history with this because we have skipped over that yep so how (laughs) i mean i can guess i don't remember when i first saw it i had it on dvd and i watched it a bunch of times but is that is (laughs) is that what what do you what do you got (laughs) what's your history with those that is rude (laughs) but also accurate i don't remember (laughs) (laughs) Uh, well but i can tell you this i actually read the book before i saw the movie oh smarty pants um i can't remember though if i was forced to read the book in class (laughs) probably um but you think so because like you know if i was i was in fifth grade when did the book come out you know it was it came out in 98 okay because i was fifth grade when i was in when I was 10, which was 2000. I think I read this book in 2002, 2003. So oh, yeah. either in fifth or sixth grade. Cool. So gearing up to the movie. Yeah. All right. Um, Timeline yeah. checks out. <laughs> Timeline police have checked you out. You're all right. good. Yes. I actually read this book and I remember it being one of the first books I was actually into. Nice. I didn't really like reading. Um, yeah. It was your outsiders. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, I didn't grow up in a household where we had books around, you know, (laughs) it's just it wasn't a thing that like we did. So I remember reading this book and being like, do I like books? And then (laughs) never picking up a book unless I was forced to. (laughs) So now look at you, you're in a book club and all this. I know. Growth. So, yes. And I remember loving the book and then seeing the movie and just really appreciating the the fact that everything that was in the book was coming to life before my eyes. Mm-hmm. Like nothing really had changed. Yes, there were some minor differences, but not a lot. And I can we can talk about some yeah, of the differences. Totally. But it was it it was kind of like and I know I watched this before Harry Potter, but it was kind of like, you know, how Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, the movie and the book are like very similar. Mm-hmm. It was just it it those moments are really awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when you could just see these characters that you envisioned in your head and see them come to life on the screen. Totally. Um, I was a Disney Channel kid, so even though I wasn't the biggest fan of Even Stevens, I was still gonna enjoy seeing Shia LaBeouf. Yeah. LaBeouf. <laughs> I don't know. Even Stevens, he's such a rule bla- rule breaker. I can't handle it. Well, that was awesome. I I was a his sister sucked, but like I understood where she was coming from. She was cool. She was sorry. She's like <laughs> she's like a Disney Channel like for lifer. Yeah. I think she's Kim Possible. Mm-hmm. And then she just like shows up. She might be someone's mom on a future version <laughs> of Even Stevens. Now yeah, I don't know. Evener Stevener. Even, or Steven-er? even <laughs> <laughs> the um, Fuller House of Even Stevens. <laughs> 
Another thing Even I, more Steven. Sorry. <laughs> Even more Steven. Uh, I love this movie because it's also the first time I remember being exposed to a multi-layer story. And by that, I mean just multiple stories being told at the same time, but also being connected. Yeah. And that just blew my mind, I remember, yeah, as a kid. Like, you could do that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I was like, whoa, like, how can all these I stories can see this. be it's connected? Like, it's, like, it's like baby's first Pulp Fiction. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> What's who is in Pulp Fiction, is there a character named Baby? No. Oh. <laughs> I mean, like, because Pulp Fiction has multiple levels and uh, multiple narratives going on at the same time, and they connect, and so I just meant, like, it's that, but for children. Oh, I see, I Babies see. first. I like, see. you know, like... Got it. <laughs> all right. The joke <laughs> lost it all when I had to explain it. <laughs> I'm sorry if I ruined the joke for anyone listening. And, you know... Is there a character named Baby? <laughs> I can fix that. There are, there are a lot of notable lines, a lot of, the bo- a lot of notable characters, and... One last thing that really spoke to me, there's a lot in this book and movie that has to do with family, family history, and how things in the past affect the future. And growing up, my mom always talked about like how our family history, in the sense of she would always allude to like our family being cursed uh-huh. in a way. So I think that part of the book oddly spoke to me. Because she would always talk about how, you know, our family has trouble with money and, you know, we really need to, like, break out and break the curse. Masha, you're going to be the one to break the curse. <laughs> and so I was A lot like, of pressure. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and I think, you know, all the she she came to this country when she was 18 and I'm first generation. So yeah. it was just like it was very symbolic of me, you know, going to college and all this stuff and just breaking that family. Cur- I don't know, like yeah. just a lot of a lot of that aspect spoke to me in a weird way. So I love this movie. I love this book. It's just I really don't have many, if any at all, bad things to say about it. So I'm very interested to see what you can nitpick. Oh, uh, <laughs> no, I'm picking this. About this. So um. It'll be an interesting conversation. That's sweet. I thought that you would be really interested in the actor lineup. Um, and, oh, yeah, yeah. And the stakes and the characters. And as a man who was a teenage boy, I oh, thought man. that... <laughs> I am now a man. But I was once a boy. <laughs> I just felt that you could relate to the characters. Yeah. So I... I, I thought that you would really like this movie and yes. hopefully love it Ooh, well, let's find out <laughs> cool so uh, i know you got a list of facts there in front of you you're gonna want to pepper in but um i say we go right into a spoiler free discussion on this one so as we mentioned earlier we're following stanley yelnats and yelnats is stanley stanley spelled backwards yes, it is. fun fact and um, he's the fourth because it's their tradition to always name their sons stanley exactly because they love that joke (laughs) (laughs) and we find him where he's being accused of stealing a pair of a baseball player's shoes that was recently donated to a shelter so we see him you know in the midst of getting convicted and being sent to camp green yeah and from we don't know the backstory of the shoes but we all we see is him walking down the street and then the shoes come flying through the air and then just hit him right on the head while he's walking. Yeah. And then he just takes him because he's like, oh, I mean, seem nice. And it's symbolic of how a lot, how the story kind of plays out throughout the movie. We're not really told straight on 
why things are happening. It's yeah. fed to us gradually as you watch. Yeah, and I'll also say we're gonna have a small non-spoiler a- area of this movie because there's like six like twists that happen throughout <laughs> it. So we're just gonna con- conduct everything that's not like on the back of the DVD as a spoiler. So we're we're not gonna go too far in this section. Absolutely. But what we can tell you is Stanley or the Yelnat family has a curse upon them. Yeah. And his whole family knows about it. They talk about it constantly. And yeah, like his his father is like some kind of failed inventor who's I don't know. <laughs> every time I watch like stuff growing up I really thought inventor was like a profession because there's so many fictional characters who are like quote unquote inventors. Yeah. You know, there was like the honey I shrunk the kids. There was the dad on Rugrats. <laughs> like they were just like they, you know, they just were like in the in the garage just trying to invent shit. And I was just like, oh I guess that's just something it's like a career path you take. Absolutely. It's totally nonsense. <laughs> but yeah, so his dad's a failed inventor. He's got his grandpa living with him. They got no money. It's it's a little bit of like a Willy Wonka style apartment. Like very small. They're all on top of each it other. It is a Willy Wonka style. Yeah. He, I think that uh, Shia's character, Stanley, has a great relationship with his grandfather. And even though they don't like show, they don't have really many scenes together, you yeah. kind of get that vibe. Oh yeah, I got a Charlie grandpa vibe going on there. Fun fact about the grandpa, he is actually, uh, his name is Nathan Davis, uh-huh. and his son directed this movie. Oh, snap. <laughs> Nepotism. <So>. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> He's a great actor. I feel like I've seen him in other things, but maybe not. Yeah, I, I might have. Um, but yeah, but the the key casting, the dad, is totally Henry Winkler. <laughs> He's fucking fantastic. Since Happy Days onward, everything he does is great. Yeah. Uh, up all the way up until Barry. <laughs> and then I don't know the mom's, the actress's name, but she's definitely the woman who's gets killed in Men in Black, whose husband like beats her, but then he's the one who the alien takes over. Vincent D'Onofrio is her husband. Oh. And he goes, sugar, water. <laughs> Men in Black, spoiler. It's, like, it's how the alien comes to Earth. It's in the first like, 20 minutes. <laughs> I'm just You kidding. don't remember that? I gotta watch. You know I, I don't remember. Give me sugar and water. But yeah, I agree. Fantastic casting. Henry Winkler kills it every time. Yeah. Side note, he's a very awesome, nice person. <laughs> <laughs> I've met him two times and he's just fantastic. That's awesome. That's what I love to hear. <laughs> you don't wanna know, you don't wanna find out the fonz ain't cool. Oh yeah, he's he's so kind. So we quickly uh, follow Stanley as he's transported to this camp, Camp Green Lake, mm-hmm. where everyone convicted of a crime who's sent there is tasked to dig a hole every day, five feet deep, five deep, uh, five feet wide. Yeah. In this hot Texas desert. Oh yeah, it's just as someone who gets like I'm sweating right now, <laughs> like it's just like I get hot so easily. I was just like I'd fucking kill myself. <laughs> you know the funny thing I found. Actually, the movie opens with a kid trying to kill himself. So I was oh like, my God. I was like, yeah, I could totally, <laughs> I could totally relate, kid. <laughs> oh yeah, I can't believe I skipped. Well, we'll talk about Barf Bag and the D10 crew in yeah. a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But I will say the Lewis. Right? Let me make sure his name is Lewis and it's not Louis. Okay, it could be Louis, it could be Louis. Please correct me later. Yeah. It's spelled the way Louis C.K. spells his name, but I, I don't know if everyone does that. Yeah, but he actually started out writing this book just because he wanted to write about how hot Texas was. Oh, snap. <laughs> because he had moved from, I think, San Francisco to Texas, and he he just hated the heat and how hot it was, and that's how this book ended up yeah. you know, coming to being, and then the characters came in that's and hilarious. he wrote around that. That's really so funny. So that's funny that you related to that. Yeah. 
when Stanley arrives on the campsite, you get introduced to so many characters. The very first person I think he meets is John Voight, who plays Mr. Sir. Yeah, Mr. Sir. (laughs) And he's kind of like, I don't want to say, he's kind of like the sheriff. I don't know what the rankings are with sheriffs and wardens. Well, yeah, yeah, I don't know either, but... But Shia LaBeouf does think he is the warden at first, and yeah. I don't blame him because he acts very much like a warden. And he kind of just l- lays out the rules of the land, right? Like, this is what you're going to be doing. This is what you wear. And, you know, he he just plays this character very well, in my opinion. Yeah. It's been years since I've read the book, obviously. So I don't know if, uh, you know, how he kind of changed that role in comparison to how it's portrayed in the book. But you know, after we meet John's character, then we're introduced to D10, which is basically the tent that Stanley is assigned to. Yeah, it's like his future crew, basically. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And D10 is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got a you know, you got a pretty w- wide cast of characters here. Yeah, and you you realize right off the bat that these guys. I mean, they're not, nobody's like a hardcore criminal here. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely a little bit Disney-fied, like all their crimes, you know yeah. what I mean? But, you know, they they play hard and they all don't go by their real names. They all have adopted these nicknames that they call each other. Yeah. It's funny because it's kind of the opposite of Spirited Away last week, where that whole thing was about when you, when you're working for the person she gives you a name to take away your identity and your your real name mm-hmm. but it seems like these guys by naming themselves it's like that's how they're like kind of keeping a piece of themselves yeah. because their names are always involved around either their personality or their looks or how much they smell bad so <laughs> so i just found that interesting where it's like you know they they didn't want to be called like their legal names like they wanted to Right. They wanted, like, the little family that they put together, like, to name themselves. And it felt like, to me, it seemed like it gave them a sense of, kind of, like, ownership over the situation. Absolutely. That's really funny that you say that because some of the observations that I, that I had read were, you know, Detent gives themselves their names because they don't, they want to sort of separate their real lives from this awful reality that they're living yeah. So them giving themselves this name is kind of like giving themselves a new life that they don't have to come and face that they're they're actually dealing with and living. Yeah. And they also have the other staff members, uh, Tim Blake Nelson, who at first seems like he's going to be like the touchy-feely like... Counselor. Yeah, like the hippy-dippy guy who's like there to be like, like no, we're all friends here. We're all right. this and that. Um, and so we, we get that aspect where he's like, seemingly the opposite of mr sir who's all about stern hardness and you know like beating these kids into submission and the other guy's like let's talk about our feelings and right you know that kind of that kind of archetype of a character so i i always found that holes and this part of the movie where stanley's getting introduced to d10 and you know he doesn't he he has to earn his name right it this kind of felt like the childish version of like i don't know what's the, like the weeds or like some sort of like jail show where like it's hard You're thinking of orange is the new black ah uh, maybe i'm thinking of orange is the new black i mean it's made by the same person as weeds but yeah we have nothing <laughs> to do with street i'm just thinking here. you know like in a show or a movie where like the newbie or the fresh blood goes to jail and they're like introduced to like how things yeah. work around here this just felt like the kid version of that <laughs> yeah i mean i literally wrote in my notes i was gonna mention it later but um 
because I know you've never you've never seen it, but this is totally Shawshank for kids. Ah, like it's 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 just so many themes and ideas and like character types and and like flow of Shawshank Redemption, but uh, just less mm-hmm. like R rated, <laughs> you know? Right. So I know you've always said you you never want to watch that movie, but I think I didn't say never. If you like I just... this, I I think uh, I have enough threads I can connect to say why I think you'll love Shawshank. I believe in two things: discipline and the Bible. Here you'll receive both. Put your trust in the Lord. Your ass belongs to me. Welcome to Shawshank. Future episode. Oh Stay man. tuned. That's crazy. But yeah, I love all of D10 and I love all their names. We'll we'll get into, you know, you got Zigzag, Armpit, X-Ray, X-Ray, Squid, Magnet, Barfag. <laughs> so Stanley, zero. you know, yeah, Zero, when he comes to camp, it becomes obvious to him that he's, you know, he's sleeping in Barfbag's bunk. D10 misses Barfbag. They're yeah. kind of like cold towards Stanley in the beginning. Yeah, right? and we also didn't say Barfbag's the one who I alluded to tries to kill himself in the beginning. Um, right. He's digging holes and he sees a rattlesnake and he walks up and sticks his foot right in its face. Um, basically, I don't know if it doesn't out. I mean, it's a this is a PG kids movie, so it doesn't outright say he was trying to commit suicide. He might have just been trying to get like injured enough to get to leave the camp. Mm-hmm. But the way I read it was like it just looked like he was ready to fucking die. Right. Yeah. yeah it just it it was very symbolic of how awful. The yeah, it's, it's the very first thing you see. Like, you see the summer heat, and then you see the him trying to kill himself. So you're like, yeah. oh, it's not a fun place to be. <laughs> exactly. And then, you know, it's also the ironic name of Green Lake when it's there's no green there's or no lake. lake. <laughs> yeah, it's, there's, nothing, there's no grass or water. So A lot of dark humor, I think, in this yeah, movie. Yeah, some funny stuff. <laughs> Mr. Sir. Yeah. It's like... One of my favorite names for like a villain type character. I mean, a lot of that like hit the uh, kind of like the slave parallels with this, you know, because you 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 always like the yes sir, no sir, like that kind of stuff mm. back in the day. And then even the like it opens up with almost like imagery of like a chain gang, and then them singing the dig it up. And I was like, I literally wrote, I was like, dig it up just seems kind of like a Disney slave spiritual, mm. like like a song you would sing to get through the work day. You know what I mean? Like, Whoa. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I was getting a lot of, I was getting a lot of vibes. With broken hands and withered souls, emancipated from all you know, you got to go and dig those holes. Which I, again, like, it's obviously there's, there's like, there's kids' gloves put on everything here because it is made for kids. Like, and that's not a, I'm not trying to talk bad about the movie. Like, that's what they were going for. Right. But it, even me, like at 13, I was obviously a little more aware of those kind of things. But it was still, like, I think it's just a good door to open to get that conversation started. Like, you're not going to show kids, like, Roots or fucking Amistad, you know? Like, it's going to be way too hard. You know, you're not going to be like, all right, you're 11, let's watch The Color Purple. Like, it's just not going to happen, so. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, something something like this could be a good good gateway to having those kind of conversations. Yeah. And the desert and the summer heat we're seeing in the movie, those kids actually had to endure. (laughs) So, they had to go to boot camp so that way they could train themselves to survive in those circumstances. Yeah, so they wouldn't have, like, heat exhaustion and pass out. Exactly. Like I mean, they still did. Like, yeah. Cleo Thomas, who plays Hector Zeroni, had a bunch of, like, heat, heat rashes on set. Like, they... Damn. But, you know, they had to... And not even to mention the production team having to actually dig those holes. Yeah. Which is crazy. I didn't, I didn't even think that. 
I mean, they had, they had to have some machinery, though. They I hope there's so. There's no way they were having fucking some PAs yeah. every <laughs> night. <laughs> like, like, uh, yeah, but those, overnight like... Overnight PAs digging the holes for the morning. <laughs> <laughs> but all of those dirt clouds that we see, like, those actually were real, and they had the cameras rolling. Yeah, you could tell, like, a movie like this, you know, they very easily could have, you know, built a couple sets and, like, just kind of, like, faked it. But, like, you can, you can see the real uh, environments there. Yeah. And I even like one of the ongoing things is these yellow spotted lizards. And, you know, if they bite you, you basically die right away. They're mm-hmm. like the most poisonous thing in this desert. And yeah, they use some CGI to, to portray them in certain scenes, but a lot of times they don't. And there's just a bunch of lizards that seemingly, like, I, I don't know if that's just how they look or if production, like, put yellow spots on them. But, like, there were a lot of times where it was real lizards crawling around. And I was like, I appreciate that. <laughs> like, you didn't just go full CGI for the lizards because it was easier. Yeah, they were real lizards. And they did paint yellow spots ah, on them. Ah, that's funny. <laughs> They're Australian bearded dragons, I think. They had 14 lizards on set. Hilarious, four of which played principal lizards. So oh. I wonder if there was a pay difference. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think they just got their own trailers. <laughs> the other ones all at the share. <laughs> but speaking about the holes, you know, the first time we see Stanley on at Camp Green Lake where he has to actually dig his hole for the day. Yeah. You know, we see him at the very top where he, you know, has to dig his hole in the ground. Obviously he sucks at it. But we get in the movie, we see his whole first day, right? Yeah. Where he starts the whole midday, where his hole is halfway, and then the end of the day. I think it cuts away to it like five times. So the crew had to build, because there are all seven guys from Detent in mm-hmm. the scene, they had to dig five stages of all of those holes. For everybody. Exactly. So, you know, they'd shoot one scene, cut, turn the camera to where they built the next set of seven holes. And oh, that's crazy. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that is actually pretty nuts. <laughs> so, I, I mean, props to them, man. Yeah, it seems like a lot of, a lot of, a lot of work in the heat. Oh, uh, yeah. They better have some good crafty off to the side or something. Some oh, ice, I hope ice, ice they cold did. waters and shit. <laughs> Damn, you're not even taking coffee orders out in the desert. You know, you're not doing nothing. <laughs> nope. You're going to be uh, a little spoiled on set sometimes. <laughs> Us crew members. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I'm sure they they felt like they were actually at camp, but the kind of camp you don't want to oh, be yeah, at. Oh, it ain't. Yeah, it ain't. That's interesting. And we also get the the start of the flashbacks. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to save a lot of these for the spoiler section, but I think it's pretty safe to talk about the first one because it's set up right away where you find out the the granddad, Let's uh, when he's talking about the curse, he says, like, it's your no-good pig-stealing great-grandfather. Who, wow, you remember. Yeah, yeah. You know, who did this. So we get, like, some kind of, uh, we get, like, one flashback that goes all the way, I don't even know, they don't really give you years. They just kind of, like, jump to the time periods. Mm-hmm. Where the great-great-grandfather meets a sort of fortune teller played by Eartha Kitt. The great Eartha Kitt. Yes. I mean, long story short, he wants to get a girl. Eartha Kitt tells him how to do that. And they're sort of stakes that she implements. You know, you have to bring... Yeah. uh, We don't have to go into detail on it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just to to really quick. So the woman wants... um... He wants to marry the woman. This other kind of like fat dude in the village also wants to marry her. And the dad is basically saying like, why would I take you? This other guy is going to give me his fattest pig for my daughter. So then Eartha Kitt tells him about this magical place. Well, she doesn't say magical, but this place called God's Thumb, which is a mountain that if he brings a small, if he steals a small pig and brings it up there and has a drink from the lake every day, it'll grow big. He didn't steal the pig. She gave him the pig. I thought she, I thought he stole it. No, she was like, you see that tiny 
baby pig over there. Take him up the mountain. I, I saw that, but I thought it was like, I thought that was someone else's pig. No, no, I think it was her pig. Oh, all right. <laughs> I guess because they said pig stealing, so in my, in my head I was like, they called him the pig stealing great-grandfather. Oh, uh, maybe. Yeah, I guess it doesn't up really matter. <laughs> yeah. And it's also, so, and he's supposed to bring the pig up there every day, have a drink from the water, and then it's going to grow to be as fat of a pig as the other one. Mm-hmm. Um, I assume because of the magic, it happens really fast. Because mm-hmm. it looked like the other guy was ready to marry the daughter like any moment, and then all of a sudden his pig is giant. So I'm like, how much time has passed? Right. But that's not important. <laughs> um, and then she gives one stipulation where you know if if this happens and he gets what he wants, he has to come back and take Madame Zaroni, played by Eartha Kitt, and carry her up the mountain just like he did the pig. Mm-hmm. Have her drink from the water so she could get strong just like the pig. And if he doesn't, yeah. If you forget to come back for Madame Zeroni, you and your family will be cursed for always and eternity. <laughs> <laughs> That's better than putting the clip <laughs> My mom and I quote this line all the time. We love Eartha Kit in this movie. Do you, uh, do you have, do you know anything about Eartha Kit? Uh, yes. <laughs> I do. Are you lying? No, 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 no. <laughs> you said it like you were guilty. <laughs> yes. Uh, don't I ask mean, any follow-up questions. <laughs> I know. I I don't, I don't know much, so I'm not about to school you on Eartha Kid. Yeah, I don't know as much as I should about Eartha Kid, but I do know, and I've seen a couple of clips of her where she speaks very passionately about spirituality. So oh, cool. I I kind of do want to look more into her, but you know, this role and her voice acting in Emperor's New Groove are my two favorite nice things. <laughs> awesome. So. Um, I know her. Um, she. I think there was either three or four different women played it, but uh, in the Adam West 1960s Batman show, she was one of the Catwoman, mm. Catwomen. So she set the precedent before Halle Berry to be a black Catwoman. And wow. in the 60s, it was a pretty big, you know, like, yeah. like that in Star Trek were like the two, like, time where like black women were on TV not playing like a, like, like a, like a, mm-hmm. a role about race where they were just in something. And yeah. It, you know, so I thought that was pretty cool. That's awesome. So yeah, you, should, you should look up some classic Eartha Kit Catwoman moments. Absolutely. I need some black women inspiration. You want to lift, big boy? Make it look good, cat woman. Put a gun on me the way we planned. They're probably watching us. Get in this car and I'll blow whatever little brains you have out. So that kind of explains why the Yelnats family is cursed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Spoiler alert. He does forget to bring Madame Zeroni up the hill to yes. drink after he gets what he wants. Yeah. I don't think that's a spoiler. No, I meant, uh, I just meant like, because oh. uh, we didn't say that. We oh, just I said see. that's how the. Um, that's yeah. how the curse starts. So a lot of the story is fed to us in flashbacks in time. So we get we get the backstory on the Yelnats family, but we also get another backstory about why Camp Green Lake, why there's no lake at Camp Green Lake, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So that kind of leads us into the spoiler section. I don't really have too much left that I want to add here yeah how about you yeah i don't think so because there's there's a deeper story to why that why they're digging holes there's a deeper there's more um flashbacks so yeah i think let's just uh we'll leave it at that i know that was kind of short but we will jump right into the spoilers because i would say most of the movie is spoilers let's do it no restraint you've been warned no restraint you've been warned (laughs) gentle listener so, like I mentioned before, my favorite part of this movie is the telling of three stories simultaneously and watching them all weave in together to tell one cohesive story and show how they're all connected. 
Yeah, and I like that uh, those stories also jump around too, so you'll see like the end of one thing and it just seems like an isolated event and then later as you're watching like what you don't realize it at the time is like a prequel to those events Mm -hmm. one of the first flashbacks we see outside of the pig stealing no good for nothing great grandfather is um their grandfather so that guy's son who has some kind of treasure that he found and then gets robbed by a local bandit called kissing kate Mm -hmm. i forget her last name barlow yeah kissing kate barlow and it's just like, at the time when you watch it, it just seems like a throwaway, like, this is why we're unlucky. Here's an example. Them explaining to Stan, like, that's how your great-grandfather got robbed and left for dead in the in the uh, wilderness. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so we're seeing just what we see is just what we think is random examples of the Yelnats curse. And then as we keep watching more flashbacks, like, it all really connects yeah. pretty decently well. And even so, like... Kiss and Kate Barlow is played by Patricia Arquette. And you see, I think you see her robbing uh, the Stanley Yelnats the second or whatever. But And then you see her in the third storyline, uh, the Catherine and Sam storyline, where she plays a, or she is a school teacher. Yeah. So you're kind of questioning, like, how did this, you know, nice, like, calm school teacher become Kiss and Kate Barlow? Yeah, yeah. It's funny, too, because I... Even though I've seen this before, I forgot a lot of these little details. Like, I only kind of remember the big moments. Mm-hmm. Um, so even in my notes, I did write, it's cool Patricia Arquette plays two different characters. Because <laughs> I thought I thought it was, like, two different time periods and they were going to be, like, ancestors. Ah. So I didn't realize it was actually the same person and you get to see how they grow. That's awesome. Yeah, because yeah, she's, like, a super kindly school teacher who, like, preserves peaches and you know she doesn't seem like she has like a mean bone in her body let alone to become the billy the kid of like this era you know what i mean absolutely i will say for me personally the catherine sam storyline was the hardest for me as a kid oh yeah and i'll just briefly explain so as andy mentioned catherine is a school teacher in the small town in texas and Sam is this black man who sells onions and tinkers, tinctures. <laughs> How do you say? <laughs> I mean, I think the word you're looking for is tinkers, but uh, uh, he's like a handyman. Like he can yeah. fix. He's good at fixing, like you know, doors and windows and houses and anything that's like kind of broken. Exactly. So he's the go-to guy for all of those things. But he's mainly an onion salesman. That's his like main. It looks. It seems like the main thing he does. Yeah. He goes around like trying to push onions on people, and nobody right. nobody really likes it that much. The only black man in this town. Yeah, only one. <laughs> I am mild. And that's why, like, I guess they were wise to not put years. But I like the whole time I was just like, how late after slavery is this? Mm. Like, is this like Jim Crow? Is it like did we just abolish slavery like i was trying to figure out like the timeline i couldn't really yeah get a grasp on i'm it. sure we could put it together you know those newspaper clippings that come up in the movie probably yeah. have years on them yeah yeah but yes yeah, so sam develops a relationship with Catherine, b- helping her you know fix her roof Catherine actually uh she sells the best peaches in town so you see that they have this cute relationship where they trade onions for peaches yeah or like even just peaches for like general work yes but you could tell like to use an old timey term they're both smitten with each other yes and like they uh the the peaches and the onions and the and the work around the house clearly just becomes an excuse to like spend more time together yeah i this is when i fell in love with Dulé hill honestly i think this is the first thing i saw him in and my mom and I, she'll she'll agree too. Like we were like, he has to be in future roles. Like yeah. he's just so charming, and I can fix that. Oh, 
Um, Sam. Outside of Psych, does he have any other like roles where he's like m- mainly known for? I know obviously he works, but like, right. is there another like project where it's like, oh, that's like he's in the West Wing. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I'm sure he's in a bunch of other things, but I know him from the West Wing, which I haven't watched yet, but I want to. Yeah. Um, Psych, obviously. Uh, yeah, that's like his main. I would say that was like the big role everyone knows him from. Yeah, and Holes. Fun fact about Psych. Yeah. So <laughs> he actually the. I love the writers of Psych because they actually clapped back or clapped back. They actually called back to clapped back. <laughs> they were like, "Hey, holes, get uh, uh, never mind." <laughs> you can't clap. I couldn't think of a clap back. I can fix that. They actually called back to his role in Holes, uh-huh. which is in like the best way ever. What they do? So. You know, he, in Psych, he's best friends with Sean, who pretends to be a psychic, yeah, and they're, yeah. he's a psychic detective. And on one of their cases, they they go onto this land, and there are, like, a bunch of holes in the ground. Oh, snap. And Sean's like, oh, wow, it's just like that movie with Sigourney Weaver. And Dulé just starts naming all of these movies that are not holes. Uh, so it's kind of, like, fun for the fans to be like, oh, like, Gus can't remember the movie Holes. <laughs> That's funny. It's pretty awesome. It's like that movie, the one with uh, Sigourney Weaver. Aliens? No. Alien. No. Alien Resurrection. Gus, the one with the holes in Shia LaBeouf. They had holes in Shia LaBeouf. The holes are in the ground, dude, like that. And John Voight was walking around all crazy. Oh, Anaconda. Yeah, never mind. But, you know, the sad sad end to that storyline is the sort of head of the town, Trout, finds out about Catherine and Sam's relation blossoming relationship. Well, they finally like actually kiss. Like it's yeah. it's been very like like safe before that. Like they didn't have any physical contact, and all their activities, like I said, could be explained away. Like oh, he's fixing this. Mm-hmm. He's doing that. He's selling me peaches, or she's selling me peaches. So like it was never. It never from the outside perspective. If you weren't paying attention, it just looked like they weren't actually entangled in any way. They mm-hmm. were just like happened. It just how it worked out. You know what I mean? You and I decided we were going take our space and what happened yeah and then i got into an entanglement with august so yeah they kiss and then the other guy who's also been trying to get with patricia arquette right uh and he's like my dad my dad owns the lake you know i'm the richest guy here like that's why you should be with me and this and that and she always just kind of like scoffs at him right and she's like i'm fucking i killed freddy krueger i don't need this shit (laughs) Well, but I mean, it gives him even more. I feel like I don't get that. At all. <laughs> I'm sure he doesn't. He doesn't deal with re- rejection well, so that gave him even. That made him even more furious to see her with Sam. Yeah. So when Sam gets shot, I think that was the first time. I think that was the first time I saw in a movie, and I don't know why. It affected me so much, but when Sam got shot because he's black and because kissing her broke the law, like he's breaking the law, it's but, against the law for him to kiss her, but not for him, her to kiss him. Yeah, like, yeah. I don't know. For some reason, that affected me emotionally as a kid, and that was so hard for me to watch. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know if you can say for some reason. It's fucking horrible. Yeah, I mean, it's like not a, for some reason. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my goddamn disaster. Um, and that's, yeah, I did appreciate that, like, that's where the movie really doesn't like shield you away from the horrors of that kind of stuff because mm-hmm. i feel like it could have easily i could have seen like you know disney wanting to maybe like change it to be like we're running them out of town or like mm-hmm. like but like they literally you see the sheriff getting drunk 
and she because they're burning down her schoolhouse too, like to teach her a lesson. Yep. And she goes to tell the sheriff, like, please, they're burning down my house. And he's just sitting there getting drunk, and he's like, oh, I always have a few drinks before a lynching. Mm-hmm. And I was like, fuck, they even said lynching. Like, you yeah. know, you know what I mean? Like, they could have easily made it a little more safe for kids to be like, get out of here, you know? But like, no, they're like, we're gonna catch him and hang him in front of you. Absolutely. And like that was fucking. I was like, yeah. whoa. And like, that was in the book. Like they didn't again. Yeah. Whew, this but I'm saying, like, <laughs> I, it could have been sanitized because, like, this gets played on Disney Channel. Like, Absolutely. You know? Yeah. And ever since they shoot Sam on the lake, ever since then, it never it never rains in Camp Green Lake. Yeah. it's It kind of puts its own curse on the camp, similar to the Yelnats curse, but, like, on the land itself. Exactly. So I really pre- appreciated that storyline. Um, and that also, just to finish that off, so that kicks off the school teacher basically grabs some guns and just starts murdering the people in the town who are responsible for killing Sam. Mm-hmm. And then that starts kind of her career as kissing Kate Barlow, where she then becomes like an outlaw who yep. gets a gang and just like doesn't give a fuck and like just rolls through the land, you know, just killing Robin. And uh, oh, and the reason she's kissing Kate Barlow is because the sheriff, not the sheriff, but the the guy whose dad owns the lake, he kept asking her for a kiss constantly. Yeah. And she never wanted to give it to him. So now every time she kills someone, she like kisses them on the cheek and leaves lipstick on them as like her yeah. mark. Well, even the sheriff, the drunk sheriff that she went to for help, that she went to for help, he asked her for a kiss when yeah. he was drunk. So That's true, yeah. I love that. That was just cherry on top. Just her kissing the guys that did wrong to Sam, justice for Sam. Yeah. yeah. I love that. I remember being so about that as a kid, like, yeah, kill those yeah. people. I hate them. <laughs> yeah, so th- that part I like. I really like that curse. Like, I feel like it totally tracks all the way through. Um, to rewind a little bit, I will say, and maybe this is explained more in the book. the The curse with the Madame Zaroni, I could have used a little bit more, just a little bit more of anything on that. Like, <laughs> the whole got the the mountain that they have to climb the water that makes you strong and then like why madam's run needed someone to carry her up there mm-hmm. like i was just kind of like i could have used a little bit more there to find out like just really anything like like the rules of it you know what i mean like right. kind of we we're talking about the spirit of the way where it was hard for me to grasp it without understanding the rules of that curse a little bit more i'm sure there is character analysis and like story plot analysis as to why that is so i apologize for not knowing the answer to that it's fine but i will say for me personally i always took it as you know i'm helping you to make this pig stronger so in return your payment to me will be to carry me up the mountain so I can get stronger too. So yeah. in a way, by him ditching and never coming back, he didn't pay her for her services. No, yeah, I get that. It's more, I guess it's more the God's thumb itself. Um, like why it exists? Yeah, because, uh, you know, it's a spoiler in the thing, but we're in spoiler section. Eventually, we, we've, when we see we see God's thumb in modern day, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like this little oasis in the middle of this dried up lake where it's on top of a mountain, it has grass that's growing, it's got onions that's growing, it's got it's got fresh water to drink. And so I didn't know, like, was that always there? Or did that spring up after the curse with Sam that dried up the lake? And well, if, if it was always there, kind of what made it different than the rest of the area? So I always took it as that's where Sam rode to across the lake. That's where he got his onions. Like, those onions they're eating at God's Thumb were Sam's onions. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I think that it always existed i don't know like why or where it came from but i always yeah. thought that like wow that's where sam would gather like yeah that's where sam was it mostly works it's just this is just me i was walking down the street i saw a couple of nits i picked them up all right. picking some nits 
I I knew there had to be some. I, I, I came in prepared mentally. I got some. Yeah, and um, yeah, I do feel, and this happens with a lot of adaptations. I do think the beginning of the movie did move a little too fast, mm. where like the every between getting introduced to Stanley Yelnats with the voiceover to the shoes to the court case to getting into jail like that was like four and a half minutes and I think I feel like they did that in the sense of when you're adapting a book where you kind of have to just go through everything and I just like I feel like it all happened so fast where I was like I think we need to take a moment and breathe here for a second you know what I mean that's so interesting I was actually worried that you would have thought that this movie moved too slow no <laughs> So there was a lot to cover, so I would have. Right. That's cool. So, yeah, we find out the background on Camp Green Lake. And at the same time, Stanley gets a little closer to figuring out the motives of this camp. It's not really to whip these kids into shape and, you know, to get good character. They're, yeah. they're on a search for something else. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's something fishy the second they say, if you find anything interesting, show it to us. And if it's interesting enough, you get the day off. Yeah. So they're like trying to incentivize these kids to look for something. They're just not telling them what, what it is. Yeah. My favorite, one of, another one of my favorite parts is that we're not introduced to the warden of the camp until like 40 minutes into yeah, this Yeah, yeah. You, you hear about her, like, which is like always great, like, you know, storytelling where you kind of like build up the legend of like someone scary and then yeah. they finally show up. And it's Sigourney Weaver, of course. Yeah, which is awesome. Oh, two things about this. One, I found it hilarious that Sigourney's daughter loved this book. And she actually went up to Sigourney and was like, you should play this awful woman in the book. (laughs) And that's apparently how she like sought out the role. Nice. But two, just in the women in general, her character as the warden and Kiss and Kate Barlow are both so strong and like feminine at the same time. Like I just remember being like, wow, these are two badass women as a kid. I didn't use the word badass, but. Yeah, I'm surprised you're using it now. I know. (laughs) I'm going to say 10 prayers after this podcast is over. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, yeah. Sigourney played, I thought, played this role very well. Like, she's scary. Yeah, I agree. Excuse me? Yeah. (laughs) And even like, and you can tell like how much she truly doesn't give a shit about anything other than them trying to find, you know, the, what they're looking for. Yeah. You know, like there's that part where they're fucking with John Voight and they steal his sunflower seeds and then he's trying to like get the kids reprimanded and she pulls one she pulls stanley off the, off of he pulls stanley off of digging to mm-hmm. go bring him to the warden to get his punishment and then she ends up fucking putting poison nail polish on and scratching john voight with the yeah. poison and it's like they don't outright say it but like to me it was like if if you brought him here that means he's not digging so that's one less person looking <laughs> for what i want to find like you know so like she truly doesn't give a shit about any of these people's lives from the kids to the people that work for her yep it was like it was very much you know Darth Vader choking his own admirable, admirable, admirable. <laughs> it was very much Darth Vader choking his own admiral in the first movie where you're just like, you just see him kill one of his own right in front of everyone else just to prove a point. And you're Dang. like, oh yeah, this guy's fucking scary. Wow. And I know you haven't seen Star Wars because the way your, your eyebrows just went up. You were <laughs> I just saw like, the <gasps> first one. I don't even remember. And that was in the first one. <laughs> when I say the first one, are when you say the first one, are you talking about the first one ever made or yeah. are you talking about the first one in? The first one ever made. The numbers thing with the Star Wars is so confusing. I just... George Lucas. What do you want from me? <laughs> when I say the first one, I mean the one that came out first. I know, but then people were like, technically, that's not the first one in the franchise. Like, the story is, like, actually the fourth movie. Yeah, right? Fine. Yep. 
All right. That is true. Oh my god, I'm so sorry if I offended anyone. <laughs> Who gives a shit? <laughs> The Star Wars fans are still, whoa, Mary Sue, and all that bullshit. <laughs> Fuck those people. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but yes, she doesn't give a, she doesn't give, uh, um, she doesn't care about, <laughs> I'm trying not to say. I mean, we can, we're in the spoiler section. No, I, I'm just trying not to say shit. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> she I love, doesn't care. I like that you whispered, like, I'm going to change anything. <laughs> I'm trying not to say shit. <laughs> Do you know who your co-host is? Okay. I can fix that. The warden doesn't care about anything. She just wants them to find stuff. Which leads me to a, a scene that I want to point out. Uh-huh. When Stanley finds Kissing Kate Barlow's lipstick in the sand. Yeah. And X-Ray comes up to him and is like, yo, man, like, you've only been here for like a month. Like, give it to me so I can take a day off. Yeah, it kind of bullies him into doing it. Yeah. I remember being very angry. I don't know why. I don't remember a lot about reading this book the first time I remember that I love it, but I do remember this scene and being like, no, like, that's so unfair. Like, I hated X-Ray for doing that. Yeah, You don't like a bully. But again, like, it was kind of like the prison rules, right? Yeah, yeah. Give it to the person it's owed, but then, you know, that's kind of like a further welcoming Stanley who comes to be known as caveman yeah. into the group and, you know, allowing them to accept him. I liked the scene when he gets the name caveman. Cause this is, I, there's a lot of cool storytelling in this movie, but I do think because it's for kids, they do rely a lot on flashbacks of stuff we've already seen and voiceovers of stuff we've already seen to like remind you. Mm. So like, you know, we, we hear Madame Zeroni say that clip about, you know, you cursed forever and ever. And then like five minutes later, something bad happens. And then they replay her saying that as if like we forgot. If you forget to come back for Madame Zeroni, you and your family will be cursed for always and eternity. There's a lot of like non-subtlety in that kind of stuff where they're just like, hey, remember this? Remember this? Don't forget that we said this. So I like when they do had moments of subtlety and like just kind of like quiet character building. I really liked. And it was when Shia LaBeouf gets attacked by that one guy. I, forget, I don't even remember what they're fighting about in like the rec he, room. He just trips over him accidentally. Yeah, like he gets into a fight with this one guy and blah, blah, blah. And they're about to start fighting. And then all of a sudden, all the D10 kids get up and like kind of break it up. But you don't really see them on anyone's side. You just see them breaking up the fight. Mm-hmm. And then they just kept going like. Yeah, nobody messes with cavemen. They can't mess with cavemen. And, like, so you think they're just talking about maybe that other guy or something. Right. And then they're all leaving. They're like, caveman, let's go. And then he's like, oh, I'm caveman. You know, like, <laughs> and I like that instead of, like, some, like, it could have just been one of those scenes where, like, hey, you're one of us now. And now this is your name that we're giving you. It was more like, right. like, Cormore kind of just real life where, like, they accepted him just over time. And it was a nice, subtle little, so I like, I like those moments. Oh, yeah. yeah. Got a little subtlety for you there. Yeah. Or just, like, letting the world speak for itself instead of, you know, we then we didn't need a, a voiceover. And that's how I got the name Caveman. Exactly. You know, like, it was just kind of like... And even with the other guys, or the other T-10 guys, they explain some of the backgrounds of their names, but I don't think they, like, go into it in the movie. I do... I I remember them going into detail a little bit. Yeah, they don't go on, crazy. Um, in the book, but, yeah, they yeah. don't do... Like, X-Ray... I mean, he I, has super thick glasses. Like, you can put that together. Yeah, yeah. And Armpit is a fat him. kid, so clearly his armpits smell like shit. Right, so. exactly. And the only one I think they truly explain is Zero because he can't read and he never talks. So mm-hmm. they just assume he's, like, very stupid. So they call him Zero because he's got nothing going on in his head. Yeah. Although, it's also part of his name. So I was like, how did they... <laughs> like, no one, like, like, it's not like the other kid's name is, like, Theodore Armpitsky. And they, like, they named him Armpit, you yeah. know? Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> like it was like there was like two meanings behind it, and I was like, ah, that seems co- convenient. I know, <laughs> you know, zigzags crazy and all this. So yeah. I, I thought those were really fun. But sorry, my earlier point was when he finds the lipstick and X-ray hands him in and bring the warden comes down. Another case of the warden being like awesome and just like not caring at all. Yeah, is when she goes up to uh, the counselor guy, Doctor. Tim Blake Nelson. Or when when she goes up to Tim Blake Nelson's like drugs. fills everyone fill everyone's canteen and he's like, I already filled them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she's like Can you hear the empty spaces? Oh, what a great line. <laughs> <laughs> I said all that to say that. Oh, that I love that. <laughs> that's a good line. That's a good line. But yes, to your point about uh Hector uh Zero. His name, yes, is Zeroni. So if you pay attention to detail, you'll find out or you'll put together that Zeroni is the same last name of the woman who cursed Stanley's family. Yeah. So when we find out Zero's full name is Hector Zeroni, uh, Stanley's the only person he actually ever talks to. So that's like as soon as he says something, they're like, holy shit, you got Zero to talk. He never talks. You know? Right. So they they begin uh, like an unlikely friendship where Zero asks him to help him to read. At first, he doesn't want to. But then... Zero kind of helps him out in a certain situation. So then he was like, all right, you know what? I'll help you read. Right. And Zero's the best digger. So he helps him kind of dig his holes and all that. Um, so they kind of make a bond pretty early on, which is kind of cool. Yeah. I thought they had a really cool friendship. Yeah. I, I feel like I should sprinkle these in, you know, f- what happened in the book versus what happened in the movie. Yeah. Just a fun fact that I, I guess I could have mentioned earlier. Stanley, the character of Stanley, was actually supposed to be a chubby kid. Ah. Uh, so he, you know. Classic. Was... We can't sell a movie with a chunker <laughs> on the cover. We got it. Well, so <laughs> yeah. that's what I thought. <laughs> That's what I thought, but it turns out that they actually... So in the book, Stanley loses weight gradually the longer he's at camp. Yeah. And they just didn't feel like they could cast a kid and ask the kid to lose yeah, weight Yeah, I guess they're a little too young. Filming. It's like kind of crazy. Exactly. Like, this isn't Christian Bale. I was about to say, like yeah, adult, maybe, maybe, you know? if, maybe if Christian Bale was 13, he would have done it. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that'd be a great RD. <laughs> That's my Christian Bale. Oh, man. <laughs> so they ended up casting, you know, a skinny kid... I think I read somewhere Frankie Muniz was considered for the role originally. I could see it. I could see it, but I think Shia was just the perfect casting at the end of the day. I think you'd find it hilarious that the director was like, find me a young Tom Hanks. That's funny. <laughs> I mean, he had the curls like like young Tom Hanks. He did. That's pretty good. Yeah, no, Shia had a lot of charisma in the, in the role. Yeah. I know we don't normally like to just fully go through the plot in this show, but I do think this is a very plot-heavy movie, so... I wouldn't mind going a little more into the curse, like how we find out that that earlier scene of seeing Kissing Kate steal the treasure from Stanley's grandfather. Um, she eventually buries that in the desert mm-hmm. um, because she knows she's gonna die. I don't know. Did they actually go into that, like how that how it got to that moment of like how did she know she like she was gonna die and to bury the treasure? I don't think she knew. So actually. <laughs> In the book, she doesn't commit suicide. She actually just gets bitten by a lizard. Yeah. Um. But in this, I actually think it's stronger what they did in the movie. Oh, yeah. It's fucking crazy. It's awesome. Yeah, because, you know, she's sending Trout and his family for generations to search for this treasure yeah. that she hopes they'll yeah. never so get. Yeah, so the same dude who was trying to get with her in the beginning and was, like, the leader of killing Sam, mm-hmm. you know, tracks her down into the desert. He's like, he's like, I'm about to kill you for everything you've done. 
Um, but I, but she knows he wants the treasure, so she's like, well, the treasure's hidden, so if I die, you're never going to find it. And then he knows that, and that's when she picks up a, with the yellow-spotted lizard and just makes it bite her, which yeah. is another pretty hardcore scene. Yeah, and all while leaning against Sam's boat. Yeah, exactly. So powerful. Yeah, yeah, li- li- the boat, uh, the overturned boat that Sam was in when they killed yeah. him on the lake. Actually, surprise, I do have one nitpick. <laughs> oh, Masha's picking nits. Well, I've had this ever since I was younger and saw this movie. If she died then and there, why didn't Hector see a skeleton when he hid under the boat after running away from camp? I think buzzards and decomposition and... But you'd see some remains. Mm, I don't know. In that kind of weather, I mean, sand could have blown over it. That's true. I don't think that's that crazy. Um, especially because, like, I mean, they've mentioned the buzzards a bunch in that. But, like, if you die in a, in a place like that with those kind of birds and scavenger animals, like, you're just going to get picked clean. Mm-hmm. And then, and again, because we don't know time periods. I think, yeah, I think I don't think it's too crazy to think that the bones could have decomposed or, or gone under. I guess not. But, yeah, I feel you on that. Yeah. But the one thing I do love, and this is kind of like, obviously, over time, a lot of the story takes place at Camp Green Lake, so we see it in past and present. But I like that this in particular location where Kiss and Kate dies is where Zero ends up and finds refuge when he runs away from camp. Yeah. After hitting the counselor in the head with the shovel. And in the boat is actually jars of Kate's peaches yeah, that have preser- lasted over time the preserved peaches and yeah. everything yeah yeah so that's what i mean why it all just kind of connects together really cool and you're just like oh so if if sam didn't have her peaches in the boat it wouldn't have done this and then this you know yeah. so it's so awesome yeah that was pretty cool so let's talk about that let's talk about when zero runs away and stanley goes out to find zero yeah because that's where you know they're stranded out in this desert and Stanley's like, all right, my grandpa told me about this place called God's Thumb, and he actually finds it. Yes. And decides to follow his instincts and go up the mountain. Yeah, because after Stanley's gra- uh, great grandfather gets robbed by Kate Barlow, everyone says like he would have died because he was just stranded in the desert for was it fourteen days or something, mm-hmm. and he would have died if he didn't find God's Thumb. That's like the legend the family tells. Right. Um. So he decides like, hey, it's our best chance to just try that out. You know, yeah. and go for it. I mean, you already know what you're gonna get if you go back to camp. Like, might as well. You yeah. Know? And then that's also the point where, as a viewer, if you didn't happen to remember that Madame Zaroni's name was the same name as Zero's last name, they physically have you. You watch Hector's passed out and. Stanley lifts him up and carries him up the mountain. Yep. Basically fulfilling the like fulfilling the promise that his great grandfather made that a Yelnats would carry a, Z- a Zeroni up the hill to get them stronger because he was dehydrated and about to die. Exactly. Um, Beautiful. And it, yeah. And again, like it's really great. Um, but again, just to the point where I'm like, I just wish the movie would let me make the connections myself. Like as he's doing that, then they play the voiceover for like the sixth time of Madame Zeroni saying, "You will carry me up the hill." To, you know, like they really don't have any faith. Yeah. That like kids are gonna remember it, which is fine, but also like I, I would I just me personally I would have been like, man, it would have been cool to just leave that out. This is a, a tween book. I, yeah. you gotta give them that. Yeah. But I yeah, that part of the story is so beautiful how it just it just connects. 
Yeah, and then they get up to the mountain, they got all the water they want, they're eating onions left and right. Yeah. I remember watching them eat onions, and they made it look so good that I'm like, should I try an onion? (laughs) No way. (laughs) Because they were like, oh, it's sweet. And, you know, like when kids eat something on tv and say it's sweet like i'm you're gonna want it yeah 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 (laughs) so i remember just being like "Ooh, a sweet onion sounds good right now (laughs) yeah i I chalked that up to like a they're just sheer exhaustion and like wanting like anything would have tasted good at that point as long as it was food right but b maybe who knows maybe sam's onions were like magic onions that did taste better than regular onions you know what i mean right yeah Oh, fun fact I forgot to mention earlier. When we first meet Sam and we see the guy with the bald head come up uh-huh. and Sam's like, I got something that could cure the baldness of your head. That's actually the author slash, slash screenplay oh, that's writer cool. that's fun. Um, with his wife and kid. Uh, <laughs> Gotta love cool. a fun cameo. He was doing a little wish fulfillment thinking his baldness would get. <laughs> He's like, yeah, if I could get one wish. <laughs> <laughs> if it had one wish. So if you paid attention to earlier in the story and, you know, he they, he loves planting seeds, right? Yeah. You'll find out that Sam had said or you you would have noticed that Sam said earlier, you know, those lizards don't like my onions. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So make sure you get grab some onions. Yeah. So the fact that, you know, Stanley and Zero are eating a bunch of onions before they come back down to dig one more hole explains why these lizards don't attack Stanley and yeah. Zero. I like that too. And I like that that's like a easy to digest metaphor of like, like Sam dying is what turned this land bad. Mm-hmm. And so it's like the onions are like the essence of Sam. Like, like, you know, like if you boil it down to like an easy thematic thing, like the onions are Sam. Mm-hmm. And just even by having those, the most dangerous thing in the land doesn't want to hurt you. It's like a very clear way to understand the the curse on the land and like how the good virtue of sam as a character like made the place good and Mm. without him and the injustice that happened to him it turned into a chill right you know exactly full of like not just the the weather but also full of like they're basically monsters like these like yellow spotted lizards that they say as soon as they bite you you die right away Mm -hmm. like they're you know they're they're crazy well you die a slow and painful death yeah yeah, slow and painful basically like there's no turning back you're not going to cure yourself yeah and the reason that they want to dig one more hole is because when x-ray takes credit for kissing finding kissing kate's lipstick tube Mm -hmm. they excavate the whole area where he was digging the reason they don't find any of Kissing Kate's treasures is because that's not actually where the lipstick was. Right. And it was in Stanley's original hole. Which he identifies by a huge rock. Yeah, yeah. On the hole. Yeah, yeah. So that was like, that was cool where like they were so close to finding. Because I'm curious as to like what would have happened to Grape Green Lake if they did find the treasure. Like, do you think she would have just like got in her car, fucking loaded the treasure and just dipped? And, Absolutely. Like, like with all legal, like, you know. <laughs> I think she would have just been like, Mr. Sir, you're in charge now and just taken the loot for yeah. herself. Cause like I'm, I'm curious as how's they, how they got the, uh, the whole prison thing started. You know, mm-hmm. like because it's permits and, and like everyone, like the state thinks it's legit. Like the, right. the, uh, the he gets sent there by the judge, and everything. And also I like too, like they were trying to be like super badass prisony in the beginning, where they're like, you notice how there's no walls. Because there's we're the only water for a hundred miles in each direction. So why don't you just go run away? We don't care. Right. But then when someone actually does run away, they have to deal with like the PR nightmare of it all, where they were like, like when Zero runs away, like he has no family. Fuck him. Like we'll just right. we'll just say he ran away. But uh, with Stanley, they had to like make up a whole story about like they were gonna wait a week, then report a missing, and then yeah. send a search party, knowing that they would never find him. Again, another story about how. The disenfranchised are just, you know, 
if something happens to them in the system, like how yeah, you people in power in can just, yeah, disregard them and cover it up and not care. Yeah. It's so, I remember that coming through uh-huh. <laughs> as a kid and understanding that and being like, oh, crap. And then, yeah, I mean, we do get a nice, a nice, like, happy ending with some comeuppance coming up on all these people where they find the treasure. At the same time, the I think it's Stanley's lawyer. Mm-hmm. Is is coming to try and get him out of the camp because they f- prove that he's not the one who stole the shoes. Yeah, did they go into how they prove that? I don't remember. So obviously he breaks the curse by carrying Zero up the mountain. Oh, so it's like immediately. That's exactly. pretty cool. All right, I'll take that. That's awesome. <laughs> right. um, yeah, yeah. It all comes together, and this is a notable part. It pays off that Stanley taught Zero how to read because without him, they would have just taken the chest and Zero wouldn't have been able to read that. It That's had a yell mask on, on it. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The power the, of education. Yeah. And then, like, the little, you know, the cherry on top of that pie is that he also decides to split all the, the gold with mm-hmm. Zero as opposed to, you know, just like just taking it and this and that. Yeah. And then that's like the last catalyst where it finally rains at Camp Green Lake. Mm-hmm. And presumably it looks like it's going to be a rain that's going to like actually fill the lake back up and everything. Exactly. Um, which gives, and it gives all the kids of Detent like a, a nice little reprieve. The one thing I loved about this ending too is you finally get to see how Sigourney Weaver's character is tied into all of this. Yeah. Like it's not until the very end where she explains it that you realize that she's a descendant of Trout, the guy who used to own this lake. Yep. And is the one that was behind the murder of Sam. Yeah. And like she might have had a chance at a normal life, but you get to see a flashback of like even when she was a kid her grandfather made her just go out there and dig holes every single day. Mm-hmm. And so I took it as she kind of used her ingenuity to be like, why should I be digging these holes? I can start this camp, get these kids to do it for me that nobody cares about and, you know, search even faster. Exactly. Yeah. You know, so I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. I remember having some sympathy for her, but in the end of the, at the end of the day, like, Oh yeah. She's too far gone. Like, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's definitely sad. Like watching her at that age, having to dig the things, but it just kind of goes with the whole, the whole theme of the movie of like your legacy and like your actions do carry over and affect future people and things like that. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you for articulating. <laughs> I'm surprised that you haven't complained about the end- ending yet. Uh-huh. Because. Yet. Huh? I love you said yet. Like, you know what's coming. <laughs> because it's a little like Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, where you kind of get multiple endings. Oh, yeah. So you see that obviously Stanley goes home and he's able to bring Hector with him because, you know, the camp doesn't have the records and the lawyer's like, this is sketchy. Let's all go. Yeah. You get to see that, yes, they inherit all of this money and he's going to split it with Hector. And then you get another ending where you see that uh, Hector uses all this money to or he uses some of the money to track down his mom. Yeah. Who he hasn't seen in years. And then you get one more ending, the cherry on top, where you get to see the aftermath of Stanley's dad, Henry Winkler, uh, and, you know, D10, and everyone comes together, including uh, the famous baseball player whose shoes were stolen yeah. at the top of the movie, yeah. to watch this shoe commercial and, you know, showing the success of his invention. Yeah, because as soon as uh, the curse gets broken, the dad's invention finally works after like years and years of it not working. Yeah. No, I honestly didn't have a problem with that because I feel like the movie was really fast paced. I I didn't feel like it was like slowed down for any reason, and all those scenes did give you something new. Because mm. you you can do the happily ever after and just assume everything goes well, but sometimes I don't like that where 
there's still some like unanswered questions. It happens at the end of like horror movies a lot of the time, where you know someone like will be like a, a family be trying to kill someone and they go through all this crazy shit and like the hero kills everyone and survives mm-hmm. and then like the cops show up and you're like the end and I'll be like yeah but there's gonna be like a lot of questions <laughs> like the cops didn't see what we just saw right so from their perspective someone's sitting covered in blood you know outside of a house while yeah <laughs> so I, I actually didn't mind that at all I will say the stuff with the villains did wrap up a little too fast for me where it was like. They were really built up, like, as kind of, like, pretty scary and, like, going to be hard to to take down. And then I feel like that scene just happened real fast. I don't really have any suggestions of, like, what I would have done differently. Um, but I just remember I felt like real, like it was like it went really fast from them being on top and in control to being, like, oh, we're fucked, you know? Yeah. I thought they would have been, like, clever enough to try and, like, throw one more wrench in before it was all over. So, oh, but that was very, that's very small. It's, it's not like, I didn't think it like ruined anything. It's just, if I had to, like, I was like, oh, that wrapped up fast. Yeah. I, I kind of took it as they were putting up a front the whole time. Yeah, they definitely were. <laughs> like once the kids educated themselves on what was really going on, then it's revealed that these guys are really just. Yeah. Really just assholes. Exactly. <laughs> so before we get into best worst, yep. um, I guess I'll just reveal some book versus movie facts. Oh yeah. That's fun. Before we head in. In the book, his dad, Henry Winkler's character, is trying to develop... He, he's actually trying to develop a way to recycle sneakers, but accidentally comes across a treatment for foot odor. Uh, oh, that's cool. <laughs> um, and again, I'm doing research online, so it's very possible that... <laughs> yeah. I tried to verify my sources, but at the end of the day, like, it's a lot. So a lot of these changes seem either small or actually better in the movie, because... I don't know. I think it works better where he's constantly trying to solve foot odor, fucks up forever, and then the second the curse is lifted, he, he's able to. I agree. As opposed to, like, blindly falling into something. Let me know how you feel about this change, because in the book, it's the peaches that's the cure, um, or is the solution to um, this invention. Uh-huh. But in the movie, it's peaches and onions, as in a combo of Sam and Captain. Oh, yeah, it's better in the movie. <laughs> I think uh, that's, that's way, that's way uh, better, because... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's kind of like their separation that, that turns everything bad. It's mm-hmm. like he, you know, Sam gets killed, so the land gets dried up and awful. And then that causes her into a life of crime, which causes the yell Nazis to get robbed. Mm. So, because it's like kissing Kate alone actually caused them problems. Yeah. But when kissing Kate is reunited with Sam, a.k.a. Peaches and, and Onions, it's like the harmony is brought back together. Yeah. So you better change. I agree. Yeah, and it's a small tweak, and it's like mentioned so quickly in the movie that you can actually miss it. Yeah, I remember missing it uh, the first time. Definitely. So in the book, Catherine is actually on the boat with Sam when he gets killed. Oh damn! So that might have been the disnifying. <laughs> I think it part. worked better though, like to have him the way they they he's he's so far away where like you almost think he's like maybe gonna be safe, and then yeah. you just see him get taken out so unceremoniously, mm-hmm. which I kind of like because that's the way like. I mean, as sad as it is, that's, like, the way that killing black people was back then. It was just a part of your day. Mm. You know, like, it wasn't it wasn't this big moment. Like, no! You know, like, they were like, yeah, kill him and let's move on. You know, right. so it was it was filmed so flippantly where it's just, like, you're, you're seeing it from so far away. It just happens. And then they just move on with their day. And I was like, yeah, that works better. I've shed a lot of tears watching that scene. I remember, like, hearing the name Sam. Like, if I had just met someone named Sam, I'd be, like, thinking about this oh, movie. Wow. You know, like, that's how powerful it was. Damn. But yeah, I agree that her not being on the boat and looking from afar and just not being able to do anything. Yeah. It's just made it so much more powerful. 
this is a minor one. So at the end of the movie, when it's raining on Camp Green Lake, you know how Armpit goes up to Stanley and asks him to call his mom and yeah. say that he's sorry. In the book, it's Squid that does that. Oh, interesting. Um, I don't know why that change well, happened. I was gonna ask, do the do you get more info on the kids in the book? I feel like you have to. I think you do because you don't get a lot in the movie, and that's something I feel like would have been a little cool. But also, it's it's already two hours, and for a kids movie, that's fucking long. Exactly. Like that's that's like an adult three hours. So I get, like, that's if you're going to cut anything, that's the thing you're going to have to cut is, like, their all backstory. Yeah. But, like, I even wrote, I was like, damn, I, like, what is he saying sorry for? Like, I want to know, you know? Right. Like, what did he do? Yeah. But I do like that, like, we're able to see it pretty well where, you know, he's like, tell my mom Theodore said he's sorry, mm. which is the first time he acknowledges his real name. Because every time they call him Theodore, he's like, name's Armpit, don't fucking call me that, you know? Right. So yeah. Um, so, like, they still, they did a good job for the time that they had, but, like, I was like, oh, man, it would have been cool to... I agree. To learn a little bit more about these kids. And, I mean, the last the last bit I'll, I'll just mention is the party at the end where the, the detent guys are in the book are not at that party. That party is really just the Yelnats, Zeronis, and the um, baseball guy and his wife. Yeah, that logically makes sense, but also, I don't care. It's fun to see them out, you know what I mean? So, like, I'll take it. Yeah, so I'm sure there are more, but... Those were just the ones that I had written down. Nice. Very cool. I It did make me want to read the book again. So may, that might happen in the near future. Oh, yeah. Then, you, yeah, sh- you'll share with me uh, what, uh, what you figure out. Or you can read it, too. Uh, possible. Cool. Um, shall we move into Best Worst? You mind if I start Best Worst? I mean, you only have one. So. I know. It was really hard. Lame. To... I'm, I'm curious as to what you picked because I really racked my brain and I had to pick an obvious one just because I couldn't think of. <laughs> I couldn't think of one. All right. I... It's fine. All right. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, excluding Stanley and Zero, best member of D10. All right. I have a similar best worst, uh-huh. but in this case, I think that they should actually be remain separate. Okay. So I'm not going to say it now. Cool. Um, but best member of D10? Like, yeah, like the best, like, kid, you know, or like, you know, best, you know, yeah. D10. Do you want to go first, since you already know them? Uh, sure, I'll go first. Okay. Um, I did actually pick Armpit as my favorite. Ooh. I feel like he, I mean, a lot of it had to do with, I think he had some of the most screen time out of all of them. Not the, not the most, but, like, he was one of the ones that was actually, like, focused on and had a lot of scenes. Uh-huh. I thought a lot of his jokes were pretty funny, like, with him smelling bad and lifting up the pits <laughs> and everyone freaking out. <laughs> but he also, like, he just was the one who had, like, the least like chip on his shoulder if felt like like I, I feel like he warmed up to stanley pretty quickly he and, was technically assigned to be his mentor oh yeah that is true i forgot about that and then that whole thing at the end that we talked about with like him having the little the moment about like you know tell my mom theodore said he's sorry mm-hmm. like he's just one of the few members who actually had a moment like that so to me i was just like as a character he was fun to watch i thought the kid was a, was was good at portraying him yeah and also in the dig it up song i remember at 13, I thought he had the funniest verse. Oh, uh, yeah. About a smelly ass pits. A-R-M-P-I to the T. What is that you smelling, dog? That's me. I don't take showers and I don't brush my teeth. That's all I do is dig holes, eat, and sleep. I will say in all the behind-the-scenes content, he's, like, the funniest guy. Yeah. I kind of wish I, like, that he was still active or I saw him in more things. Oh, that'd be cool. Alright, do you have a best? I have a best. <laughs> My best is Zigzag. Ooh. And it's only because he has the best 
I think the funniest lines in this movie. Nice. <laughs> There's this bit that's kind of covered by real action happening in the movie. Uh-huh. But when D tents out there digging holes, the kids are like, Zero could dig a hole all the way to China. And then Zigzag goes, Yeah, but where did those China dig? kids dig too yeah yeah that was a good line <laughs> it's so stupid that was pretty fun and just the way he says it it's yeah. just so it's like that classic like uneducated like like pondering you exactly know? <laughs> uh he even has this other one where he's like zero i think that kid's oh he's he's like a mole i think he eats the dirt <laughs> <laughs> like... <laughs> i don't know <laughs> yeah so he's my favorite nice all right, so worst. my worst was zigzag. <laughs> wow! And actually, I'll be honest, I love all those lines, but I didn't realize who was saying them because all those kids were talking at the same time, uh, and I tended to forget like who was who sometimes because a lot of some of them looked alike. Yeah. So you you definitely leaned me more back on the on that like where he had some funny lines. Okay. But to the thing with where I was like. Uh, armpit had the smallest chip on his shoulder this guy had the biggest chip on his shoulder and he was just always a prick the whole time oh i disagree he was always fighting with stanley and fucking with him he was but he was crazy even up to the point like towards the end like he's the one who snitches on him for it was really when he snitched on stanley for zero digging his holes for him and i was like you goddamn snitch like you're gonna stay in jail just for fucking you you got no loyalty Uh... especially after stanley already showed his loyalty by by giving x-ray the 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 lipstick after he finds it yeah. like he he showed that he can make sacrifices for detent and then zigzag wasn't even losing anything by letting zero help him dig the holes and stuff That's and, true. and he and he was always constantly throwing dirt in the hole like he he just like seemed like even when he warmed up to stanley he was still such a prick i think zigzag was meaning like his personality is literally like a zigzag yeah, like I, I think he had some like mental disorder oh, going yeah, on definitely <laughs> definitely and i thought that was a very creative way to portray that in a, <laughs> in a kid's character yeah yeah it's so funny that you say that because my worst was going to be x-ray because uh, he he's the one who actually like he was first of all he's sane and yeah. he pulled rank like you know by taking Kiss and Kate's tube and claiming it as something that he found. Yeah. Also, when he was like, I've been here six months, I still was like, that's not that long. Exactly. Like, like come on, guy. Like, you would do four months longer than these other. Like, because there were so many kids, and I was like, are they all less than, like, how much less than six months have they been there? You right. know? If he said, like, I've been here over a year, everyone else has got six months or less, then I'd be like, okay, maybe you pull some rank. Yeah. But... I think that he had more of a chip on his shoulder than Zigzag Dig. I think Zigzag is just crazy and just yeah. does whatever he feels in the moment. That's why X- X-Ray is my worst. Ah, uh, yeah. I'd give it to you. He's He is kind of a dick. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. What's your best worst? Mine is best nickname. Oh, nice. Okay. I'll take that. You go first. Cool. I actually like Twitch because it sounds cool. Yeah. Um, There's a dancer named Twitch that I really like, too, in real life. Nice. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. It's just when that new kid is introduced to, to D10. And he, he has, like, that twitch in his shoulder. Like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, he just yeah. seemed like a, a kid, like a cool kid. That's awesome. I, I thought it was a cool name, whatever. Uh, uh, cool. Long answer for nice. such a short reason. All right. I'm going, um, even though he was my worst, I think you convinced me that Zigzag is the best nickname. Ooh. Like, he's got this, like, split personality, and he's constantly zigzagging around, like, in his brain. Like, one minute he's this way, one minute he's that way. Uh-huh. And, like, you know, they, I thought that was a pretty cool. <laughs> that's, that's a good nickname. Nice. I forget. I feel like I, I, I realized it during the movie, but why do they call him Caveman, Shia LaBeouf? I don't know. Whatever. He writes letters to his mom. 
I don't know. The yeah, subtle reason. Ca- cave people were known for their. Yeah, art, but they their... write on the. <laughs> it's like writing a letter is old school to them. I don't know. Not really. All it's right. 2003. These kids have been in jail. You think they've got AOL in there? There's totally an explanation for this <laughs> that I fine. just don't know. Well, anyway, so Zigzag's my favorite. Cool. My worst is Barf Bag. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be called Barf Bag. <laughs> and also. Not only is that a horrible name, but also a horrible experience to be barfing all the time. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Mine's probably squid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't I don't know if I get it. I I tried to look up an explanation of why he's called squid. There was one and I think somebody had debunked it online, but they were like when he first got to camp he farted all the time and that's why they call him squid. What does squid have to do with fart? I don't know. Worst nickname. <laughs> you won the award. Uh, but I do think that this best worst needs an honorable mention to Ma. Oh, yeah. Which is the nickname that D10 gives to Dr. Pandensky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is pretty funny. So one one additional thing before we leave this best worst is I would like us to create a D10 name for each other. Oh, uh, okay. So, I make one for you, you make one for me. Did you already humble one for me? I did. Oh. <laughs> it's so lame. I feel like I can come up with a better one with more time. Hit me with it. Okay. So, if you were in D-Tent, I'd have the guys call you Tone. <laughs> as in baritone. Because uh, right, <laughs> your voice is so deep. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I've literally never heard it before. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, what up, Tone? Uh, Isn't that cool? Yeah. Yeah. All right, I'm going to call you Soap Mouth. Soap Mouth? Yeah, because when when you're a kid and, and your parents <laughs> catch you cursing, they wash your mouth out with soap, and you never <laughs> curse and never say any bad words. <laughs> so you're, you're Soap Mouth. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't fall off the tongue. <laughs> it's Soap Mouth over there. I call. I gave you a cool one. I gave you tone. You gave me soap mouth. We're breaking up right now. <laughs> oh, live kidding. on air. That would be some good ratings. Oh, <laughs> soap mouth. <laughs> I was trying to think. Like I was like, I came up with the concept immediately, and I was like, I gotta think of some like way to say no, it. No, that's. I, I get it. I couldn't think of one. <laughs> right, you got another one. I'm looking at this now, and. It's pretty dark, and I don't think I even wrote a best worst for it, so I'll tell you. (laughs) (laughs) You never, you always do half the homework on the best worst. (laughs) You either don't go over the worst, or you go over the topic and don't think about it. I'm sorry. At least I came up with more than one. Did you? Best worst way to get out of being at Camp Green Lake. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Best would be... To lift a curse on your family and have a lawyer come and pick you up in a car. <laughs> God damn it. Worse is to have a rattlesnake bite you on your foot. Cheater. <laughs> How's that cheating? I wanted us to make them up. Oh, I thought you meant like out of what was presented in the movie. No, there are only two ways That's that were presented. That's why I listed the two that we saw. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I will clarify future best worse. Well, escaping is pretty hard in all fronts. I will say we did kind of see the attempt in the movie and it, I think it would have worked pretty well. But also I think stealing one of those water trucks is probably up there. I agree. Yeah, it's best because you can cover the hundred miles all of a sudden isn't daunting. And you have enough water that even if you do stop, you know, you can keep drinking fresh, clean water. I, I'm going to steal. I'm going to piggyback off of that. I yeah. agree. I think the worst is just to run off. 
Mm-hmm. Because a hundred miles is like I hiked a hundred miles in England, and I did it over a course of two weeks. Right. <laughs> you know, so like to just be like no food, no water, no change of clothes, no shelter. To just go a hundred miles sun. straight in the sun and the like dirt and sand. Yeah, like, no with, water. The ground's not even like hard. You can't even like sprint. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's got to be the worst. Yeah. Because at least with a rattlesnake bite, like there's a chance you'll live. Like you, like they're gonna like rush you off to the hospital or whatever. I guess so. I just wouldn't want to go through that. <laughs> yeah, but I just think the odds of surviving are higher than. I would rather get bit by a snake and die than have to just slowly dehydrate to death. I'm trying to think of like a creative way to leave the camp, but like causes the least amount of harm. Oh, you know what? Blackmailing the warden somehow. Oh yeah. I'd I'd choose blackmail. I think that's actually very feasible because she's so fixated on getting the curse. Uh, sorry, getting the treasure that there's no way she's going to let anything get in the way. Right. So I think if you presented yourself as a big enough problem that could expose her, she'll just get rid of you mm-hmm. as opposed to bringing attention onto the camp. Yeah. And by having you killed, that's going to bring attention. So she'll most more likely just release you. Yeah. Assuming that you're not poor and don't have family that will cause trouble. Yeah, you. exactly. Well, I mean, Stanley was definitely, they showed him as very poor, but like this right. family cared about him. So that was the important part. Mm-hmm. All right, an honorable mention for best worst quote. <laughs> oh, nice. I don't know. Do you have one? I'm curious if there's any that stuck with you. Honestly, it was the one at the very end. I don't remember who says it, but it was that line about maybe my mom will quit drinking and my dad will come home. Oh, that was squid. <laughs> that shit was so funny because no one's backstory was that dark in this movie. Like, it was always like, I stole puppies. Like, I did this, I did that. Yeah. And then. I don't even, like, why did he even say it? I don't remember. Uh, What was the context? They were trying to figure out what they would do to him because this is when Stanley turned himself in for stealing the seeds. Yeah. So they were wondering what the warden was going to do to him. And they were like, oh, maybe he'll let, she'll let him go. And then Squid goes. Yeah, maybe my, (laughs) I was like, ooh, that's dark Squid. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe that's why he's called Squid. Yeah, maybe. Like the darkness of the ink. Maybe. But uh, I think that was my favorite line. <laughs> For me, it was a, it's a tie between, and I mean, Zigzag, you know, has like my favorite like LOL lines. Uh-huh. But in reality, for me, it's Madame Zeroni's. You and your family will be cursed for always and eternity. <laughs> that is a good line. Tied with. I can fix that. Oh yeah, oh. I can fix that. Oh. If you, if you, next time you're at my mom's, uh-huh. if you, if she says something where you can plug that line in, yep. she'll love you forever. Because <laughs> we would always go, I could fix that. We love Sam. We love Dulay. <laughs> cool. Um, worst? Uh, I don't know. I gotta think about it. Do you have a worst offhand? I actually don't. Yeah. <laughs> Damn, you said yeah. Shocker. Okay, I'll do one. I actually don't remember this quote verbatim, uh-huh. but it's uh during the Catherine Sam storyline where uh-huh. Catherine is teaching the adults in the town how to read. Uh-huh. And when Trout is like, uh, my other, like he's trying to like mimic how dumb like the other guy sounded when yeah, he was trying yeah. to read. That would be my worst, just because what a jerk. Yeah. Like for that character to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. And this isn't even that bad, but. 
A, I didn't really think we needed any of the Shia LaBeouf's voiceover in the movie. Mm-hmm. I feel like everything that is told there could have easily been inferred by, by a lot of the plot. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the very end, because we have it in the beginning and then we don't have it throughout the whole movie until the very end. And like when it was just like that wrap up of like, and that's how me and Zero became neighbors. Uh. And like... One that wasn't the story he was telling us. Like it wasn't like like it, like at no point was like that we building up to that. And then B like you could just infer it. Like right. you know what I mean. Like you could just show them in the backyard hanging out and doing all that stuff. So it more in the sense of like just show don't tell. Yeah, I think that was probably the, my my worst favorite line. All right, that's pretty good. Cool. Um, before we move on to beyond the credits, I just wanted to mention uh because I did mention Trout just now in my first in my worst. The actor who plays Trout, his name is Scott Plank, Uh and this movie, they actually ended up dedicating to him because he died in a car accident six months before this movie was released, sadly. Um, So this was his last feature film, which is crazy. Um, I thought he did a great job playing Trout. For sure. I hated him truly, but uh, I could tell that it was like a good good guy, good actor under there. So That's a shame. But beyond the credits, <laughs> you went beyond the grave. Oh, I was trying to go beyond the credits. Oh, I'm so sorry, but uh, yeah, just wanted to mention that. Cool. But uh, let's truly on a on a nice note move on to beyond the credits. Cool. All right. For starters, the movie does not need a sequel at all. I mm-hmm. think it wraps up like perfectly, and having another adventure with these people would just seem redundant. Yeah. So I don't think it does, but. I will say, I mean, it's all pretty laid out in the movie with the seven endings, but I just feel like, I just, you know, I feel like now with the curse finally lifted, we're just going to enter into a, like, land of time of prosperity for the Yelnatses and the Zeronis, where, you know, they'll keep telling these stories of the past, but they're going to have nothing but good fortune mm-hmm. and kind of going forward. So I think they're going to be all right, you know, I think Camp Greenlake definitely gets shut down. After all that crazy, after the investigation. Right. And then, uh, I don't know, hopefully all the D10 boys uh, stop living their lives of crime and they, <laughs> and they do good things. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> so, yeah, I agree with you in that this movie does not need a sequel. I think it's perfect and it closes up every, you know, every storyline very nicely. I also would hope that uh, D10, the D10 guys sort of, you know... Uh, have good lives after this experience and sort of are changed for the better. I kind of wish that I'm, I'm I don't want a sequel to this, but I I kind of want like a mini series on Henry Winkler and him trying to like invent the shoe, like everything that's happening during the time of this movie. We're, we're with Shia. Yeah, I just want to see like that funny like him with the shoe in the apartment. Like, so you you want like a holes one and a half? Like, yeah, like a Lion King one and a half. Exactly, because yeah. I don't know Henry Winkler is just so great. Oh yeah, he's and fantastic. hilarious. Uh, him having an argument with the landlord about the shoes is just really funny. Yeah, and I I haven't really like thought about you know what happens to the warden and all those guys after they get arrested. I just think they rot in jail. <laughs> yep. Um, but one thing I do that I did find interesting, and I had no idea before I started re- researching for this podcast, is the author actually turned holes into sort of like a saga. Oh, really? Yeah. 
where this was the first movie. So he actually wrote two additional novels. Oh, snap. In 2003, he wrote Stanley Yelnat's Survival Guide to Camp Green Lake, Whoa. which is basically like a tongue-in-cheek handbook for newcomers to Grand to camp green lake that's cool so now i gotta buy that book <laughs> and it's supposed to be like obviously before it gets shut down and the curse gets lifted on the land yeah like it's like during so. the bad times exactly yeah, yeah. so like how how to survive and not have the a terrible experience like stanley did yeah um which i thought was pretty cool and then in 2006 he wrote a book called small steps which is a novel that follows a couple of the detent members three years after their release from camp green lake oh that's cool yeah yeah i could see that working as a book uh, but I couldn't see, I can't imagine them making a sequel movie that doesn't have, like, Stanley and Zero, you know, like, yeah. like it would be hard to sell that, like, it's just, it's just a detent movie now. I agree. But as a book, I could see that working. Apparently, though, Small Steps is, like, a little darker, like, it's not as children-friendly. Oh, nice. So I actually came across a lot of comments where, like, people are like, I... I let my kid read this because Holes was so good, and now you've exposed them to nudity and cursing and blah, blah, blah. Like, a lot of, like, parents complaining. That's a good Karen voice. (laughs) So, I mean, it makes me want to read. Like, come on. He wrote this book in 1998. He's he's writing about D10 three years later. Like, whoever's interested in this book, I think are grown up now. Yeah. So, whatever. Not even three, because if it was 2006, that's... Eight years later. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, do the research before you give your kids a book if <laughs> right? you're so angry. Seriously. Like, it's not his fault. Don't, he wrote the book. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, it doesn't follow all the detent guys. I think this book revolves around, like, Armpit and X-Ray and, like, one other character. Yeah. And with honorable mentions with Zero and Stanley. I'd be, I'd be uh, interested in reading that. Right? I feel like I'd want to read the first book, though, because it's obviously not a sequel to the movie. It's a sequel to the book. So, yeah. Like, there's probably little things. No, I I actually think you'll be fine just knowing. Oh, are you talking about you? You'd want to read the guide. No, I'd want to read holes before I read. Oh, I see. Uh, okay. Small steps. Yeah, maybe back to back would be cool. Yeah, I'm sure they're fast reads. Yeah, but um, in an article, someone had asked him if he would have ever wanted to make a sequel to Holes, and he said. You know, he didn't really want to go through the whole process of, like, pitching it. Like, if it yeah. happened, it happened. Kind of like the way it happened with Holes. So, totally. he didn't really want to force it. Nice. Which, I mean, thank God. Like, yeah. <laughs> I cool. agree with that. That's cool. Don't force it. So, Andy. Mm-hmm. Ah! <laughs> I have a question. Oh, man. Do you love what I love? Love it. Love it. I love it. So, do I love what you love? Hmm. How do I express myself? Oh boy. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, I think uh, it, it held up really well. Um, I really enjoyed watching it. I think it's a great resource for kids. Most of the quote-unquote problems I would say I have with it, and problems is in quotes. So just said quote unquote. <laughs> um, aren't true like problems, but I will say I do I really wouldn't mind if we re-explored this story as like a ten episode show like on Netflix or Hulu, like mm. on a streaming service, and maybe make it a little just a hair more adult. 
Um, not a lot because I think it's really great for kids and kids should see it. Yeah. But I remember even like last night when it ended, I was shocked that this was PG. Mm. I thought I could have like the whole time we're watching, I'm like, this is probably PG 13. Like, you know, we're dealing with murder and this and that and a lot of killing and stuff like that. Yep. So I was actually really shocked it was PG. So maybe if we just bumped it to an extremely light PG 13, just to kind of get, because the only kind of issues I really had with the book were I did feel at certain times tonal inconsistencies. With the movie. Yeah, with the movie where at certain times it's so real and so dark, like the stuff with Sam and like and certain certain the way the kids are treated and even the way the kids are talked to. Like they're mm-hmm. not like like the warden talks to them like real harshly and things like that. And then it would go from that to certain like a lot of just like kid movie tropes. Like, I remember, like, Stanley taking a shower and the water turning off. And, like, the music was just very, like, bum, 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 bum. Like, right. like it was just, like, sometimes it was, like, very Disney Channel-esque. And, some like, for me, it didn't always clash perfectly. Where, like, when one moment you're, like, fuck, that is serious and scary. Like, how are they going to get out of it? And the next moment was very silly. Where, like, they were trying to, like, it almost felt like an episode of Even Stevens. Uh... Where it's, like, oh, he stripped and fell. You know, that kind of. So, I think... I, I think it would be interesting to explore it just in a slightly, just a hair more adult and then just longer because then I think we could get, like if it was 10 episodes, you could have a whole episode that's about two of the kids. You yeah. know, like you could have an armpit episode. You could have just like where you're you're still getting the main story, but you just don't have to cut out as much stuff. So that's the only stuff where like I, I almost just like want more. But I still think it works incredibly well. Like I said, I think they made a great call of not making it any longer than two hours. Mm. Um, I think it would have been a mistake to try and make it longer. So, like, under the circumstances of making a movie and also having the star power that they had, I think they just crushed it. Um, It's very entertaining. It's very funny. It doesn't talk down to kids, but it's also rooted in enough reality that I think adults could enjoy it. And it's like, yeah, it's just like a perfect bundle of like what a family movie like should be mm. where you're not, it's not when you're putting on just like some mindless, you're, it's not, it's not trolls where like as a, as an adult watching it with your kid, you have to just sit there and be like, when the fuck is this going to end? I like, love that trolls is your go-to <laughs> definition of that version of a family well, movie. Yeah. Cause it just looks, you know, it's like, it's just pop songs and I mean, yeah. like, I mean, I never saw it, but you know, I could just. <laughs> It just looks like a lot of covers of pop songs, right. and then it's a, something a, that a parents are waiting fl- to end. Yeah, it's it's colors and lights and and dancing. Like it's not, there's you're not you're not getting any substance out of it. Um, but I think yeah, I think there's a lot of lessons you could learn in this movie without it being like overly preachy. All the actors really brought it. Like they everybody everybody knew what movie they were in. Mm-hmm. Nobody like sometimes in these movies someone's playing it way too cartoony while someone's playing it way too serious, and I think everyone hit a great balance. And it's just fun to watch, and the music's good, and you could tell the camaraderie with the kids. Um, yeah, just I yeah. think uh, it's it's a fucking home run. Ooh, I'm so excited. I love that you love this movie. Like, I'm really happy. Uh-huh. But I also really love your idea of this being a show. Yeah. Like you said, a hair adult, but like... And I don't want it to be like five, six seasons. Like, just do yeah. that thing that Netflix does where it's like, we're just going to do ten episodes. Like, just, just make it ten one-hour episodes. Yeah. And just tell the story of the book again. I absolutely love this idea. And I, I'm even thinking about the structure of like an Orange is the New Black. Yeah. Where there were episodes where they went into the backstories of how certain characters ended up in jail. Yeah, yeah. So, like, exactly like that, like you said. I would love that. And I know a bunch of fans who of this movie and of this book who would probably enjoy that, too. Yeah, and there's definitely precedence for it. Like, um, I haven't watched it, but um, 
they recently made High Fidelity uh, TV show. And that was a very popular movie that was based on a very popular book. Mm-hmm. But fans of the book always thought that the movie cut too much stuff out to make a two-hour movie. And so now what they're doing is doing a TV show where they're truly doing the book. Right. And, like, it's, it's just... Like, I think it, there's, it's not crazy to think that, like, there's a fan base who would want that. Look at Friday Night Lights. That's a perfect example. Yeah. That show is way more popular than the movie. I think the book is incredibly popular. The movie was... It did well, but I don't know anyone who says it's their favorite movie. Uh-huh. I know a lot of people who say Friday Night Lights is their favorite TV show. That's because the movie had to be two hours, so they had to cut out so much deep stuff that happened in the book. The show's like five, six seasons, so they just they just explore every aspect of the book mm-hmm. in that. So, yeah, I would like to see that um, that kind of version of it. And then it also lets you be a little... Like, um, when I say darker, I mean, like, the level of, like, Stranger Things. Yeah. Which, it's like, it's still a show for kids. It's not... Or, like, young, you know, like, young teens. Right. Like, it's not, like, crazy R-rated and trying to be all edgy just for the sake of doing it. But it's also not incredibly safe. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not, like, it doesn't have that Disneyfication behind it. Right. You know, or, like, The Mandalorian on Disney+. Plus. Like, it's it's Star Wars, it's for kids, but they treat it with a little bit more seriousness. Oh, I'm so happy. <laughs> That's our show. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please be sure to subscribe and tell a friend. Also, if you have opinions on what we discussed, follow us on social media at Love What I Love Podcast or LWIL Podcast. It's a great place to find out what we'll be talking about next. And as always, if you have time, please take a moment to rate and review. Every little bit of feedback helps. I'm Tone. And I'm Soap Mouth. (laughs) And I hope you love what I love. (laughs) Love it up, oh, oh, love it. Love it up, oh, oh, love it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and sent to a desert detention camp. Desert Call- detention camp? God damn. Why do I have all the tongue twisters? Eat some ice cream, you're in trouble. <laughs> this is a desert detention camp. <laughs>